Next Chapter Podcasts. What's better than free money? How you choose to spend it. Open a CQ checking account and get $250 to spend freely. And that's not all this credit union offers. Do your banking, build credit, and invest in your future. Visit secumd.org today. The 500. The 500. Talking the 500 until the end Talking the 500 until the end With my man J.M. On the 500 Talking the 500 until the end From episode 393, M.I.A. Kala, same lyrics. This is the original. It's called Roadrunner. It's by the band The Modern Lovers from the 1976 album Modern Lovers. It's also number 382 out of 500 on the 500 with Josh Adam Myers. What up, y'all? How you doing? Fleece Army. Oh, Fleece Army. I just woke up and my mom's cleaning lady is here. Get me the fuck out of Maryland before I kill everybody at the Acme supermarket. Yeah, I'm not going to do anything, everybody. I'm just not because I need to get back to L.A. I need to get back to L.A. You know what you need to do? You need to watch this podcast. We got two great ways for you guys to watch me and my guests talk about music and life and stuff. Every Wednesday, we publish full episodes on Patreon for the 500 Club members, paying five bucks a month or more. And we really appreciate our Fleece Army. We love you guys. So go to patreon.com backslash the 500. We're also posting videos to YouTube every Thursday. So subscribe, smash that subscribe button. And follow the Patreon, guys, because we have a staff that we care about and we love. We have Peter on the ones and twos of the editing. We have Melissa and Emily, who are great. We have Morty. Follow at, do Morty a favor, follow at B and Daddy Cartoons to check out him and his daughter singing. Uh, They're great. Follow JT. Follow everybody, guys, because we love them. And uh, we're trying to make the best show possible. So join the Patreon, everybody. All right, Modern Lovers. What do we know about the Modern Lovers? What did I know about the Modern Lovers prior to this record? Well, not much. I think I knew a little bit, like I might have heard of them, but really had no idea what to expect from this record. I actually was having a very difficult time booking it, and then as I got to know them a little bit, I was like, ah, okay, I've heard of them, kind of. Released in August of 1976 on Berskeley Records and produced by John Cale, Robert Apparet, and Alan Mason, this is the debut album by the American garage rock and proto-punk band, The Modern Lovers. Natick, Massachusetts native Jonathan Richmond grew up in the Boston area suburbs, writing and playing songs on guitar, and by the 60s was obsessed with the avant-garde rock group, The Velvet Underground. After high school in 1969, he moved to New York to pursue his musical dreams and ended up hanging out with Lou Reed and sleeping on the Velvet Underground manager's couch. Although considering himself a singer-songwriter, he didn't have much of a singing voice and either chose to keep his guitar playing simple or only knew a limited amount of chords. 
but what he had was an almost childlike naivete and a determined and convincing drive to make it. According to Boston drummer David Robinson, who had seen Richmond play around the area, when Jonathan came into the record store Robinson worked at in his trademark white plastic Harley-Davidson motorcycle jacket to promote his band, Richmond ended up recruiting him on drums. With Robinson, a bassist named Rolfie Anderson, and Jonathan's childhood friend John Felice on guitar, they played free outside shows around Boston. At one show, Harvard University architecture student Jerry Harrison saw him and ran to get his roommate, English literature student Ernie Brooks. In late 60s, early 70s, Richmond really stood out with his very short hair, conservative shirt, tie, sport coat, and dress pants, playing his painted and stickered electric guitar that was missing strings, and speaks singing odd songs with an almost childlike demeanor. The roommates eventually joined Richmond for their first gig with Brooks on bass and Harrison on keyboards. The band took the name The Modern Lovers and rehearsed in drummer David Robinson's parents' basement as he still lived at home. Soon they were playing Harvard parties and local clubs and building a following in part due to the peculiar onstage antics like Jonathan setting up an easel and displaying his illustrations prior to each corresponding song while reciting the lyrics. In 72, a couple record companies flew them to L.A. to make demos for a potential album, and it would be the only album released by the original band. The Modern Lovers influenced countless artists like Sushi and the Banshees, Violent Femmes, They Might Be Giants, Weezer, The Killers, and Frank Black. But you'll have to wait until the episode starts to hear all the details of their story, and if you're really into it, you can read Morty's full biography of the band and the album on our website, the500podcast.com. And my guest today, returning for the second time, is punk rock comic legend Joe Sib. Joe is an incredible comedian, but at one point he was the front man of the punk rock band Wax, as well as the punk rock supergroup 22 Jacks, and he also co-founded Side One Dummy Records. And my favorite thing about Joe is he's so positive, he is like human Prozac. This was a fun one. I love sitting down with Joe. I think you guys are going to dig this episode. Rate, review, and most importantly, subscribe to The 500 and listen free on all platforms. And if you're listening on Apple, leave us a five-star rating and leave us a review. Follow me at Josh Adam Myers on all social media and go to my website, joshadammyers.com for all my tour dates. Speaking of which, March 4th through the 7th, I will be at the House of Comedy in Minnesota. I'll be doing six shows. It's going to be fun. Come join me. Bring me weed. I will be there for four days in the cold, cold weather by myself. So I want to see all the fleece army. Bring me a fleece. It's going to be cold. And you can find tickets to that at my website, joshadammyers.com. Email the podcast at 500podcast at gmail.com. Follow the Facebook group run by Crazy Evan at the 500 Podcast with Jam. And for all things 500, go to our website, the500podcast.com. Well, y'all, nothing left to say, but here we go. With number 392 out of 500 with Modern Lovers by the Modern Lovers. I put the phone back in place. I assume that's a lyric to the dear, album we're doing. Because I'm straight. Not stone like Hippie Johnny. That's my favorite tune on the record, dude. Goo, you know it way more than I do. So uh, I think that some some people say that's the first straight edge song ever. Like the whole like I mean, I don't want to like if there's straight edge people listening because they they can get super adamant and like 
find me on the street and beat me down while they're sober. But like, um, yeah, supposedly that song is the first straight edge song because he's, you know, basically saying like, look, man, I'm straight. And at the end they're all, he's straight. So great. I thought it was about him really being homophobic and trying to make sure that no one thought he was gay. I didn't get, you know what? Um, <laughs> I take everything at face value. Wow. Yeah. You know what? For me, I remember the first time I heard that song, that was the song that I remember. Are we, are we starting? Is this happening? Okay, let's, let's let's go. You know what? Let's I'll shut it. up. I'll shut up. Let's no, start. I, you, let's you had a thought, but dude, do you understand how special it is to have you back on the Dude, show? Look at this bro. move I'm doing right now. This is how I come into this is how I come into your podcast. Oh, it's so sad that they that the audience doesn't get to see this until ah! Thursday. Oh my god! If on YouTube, but Tuesday if they pay for the Patreon. Hey, you know what? Pay for the Patreon because you know what? It's uh, Josh had to move back to Maryland, and I know. I know. I'm No, no. Do not start that fucking room. I'm back February 25th, bro. I already yeah. got a ticket. I no, dude, I'm no, I'm, hey, well, and I'm in New York right now, so I'm more of a you know what, world it's, traveler. It's exciting to have Josh, you know, Maryland to Fresno, and I'm excited that you're back in Fresno where you live now, full time. <laughs> hey man, I got a good meth thing going there, and I want to keep it that way. <laughs> oh my god, I used to have a joke about uh, like, wait, we keep, are we starting? What's going on? Yeah, what's what's <laughs> tell the joke now because the audience wants to hear it. Oh no, I used to say that like I was I was I was writing a bit about um how there's you know, heaven and a hell. And, you know, you're always thinking about heaven or hell, heaven or hell. And then I, you know, you don't know if there's a heaven or hell, but like, you know, what would heaven be like? Right. But there, if you've been to Fresno, you know, there's a hell you're like, okay, <laughs> Bakersfield, why do those places exist? And you know, what's a trip is what? I don't like karma and all of that. I believe in it because if you're, if you, if you live in Stockton and no offense to people from Stockton, they're, they're like, I love Stockton or I love Fresno or I love Bakersfield. I think you did something bad in your past life. You wanted to come back as a squirrel, but now you just like, you're like, dude, I'm from, I'm from Lopitas, you know? And like, yeah, those places <laughs> exist. Like that's something. I don't even know happens. where Lopitas is, but just the name Lopitas to say that's where you live just sounds like something out of fucking Amityville horror show. Oh, you I, mean the house in Lampitas? I love that you're calling it Lampitas and it's Milpitas. <laughs> oh, well, I give a fuck. And probably the fleece army doesn't give a shit. You know what they do give a shit though about Joe? What do they give a shit? Modern about? lovers. So no, you know, and that's what's funny about about doing this, man, is I look at that list and I go, I know that. I know that. I've heard yeah. of that. I've heard of that. Ooh, I'm excited about that. And then I see this record and I'm like, I have no fucking clue about anything about the band, about the record. This is pre-research. You know, luckily now I'm caught up to speed, but yeah. it's like, it's like, dude, I had no idea. So for me, this is my first rodeo with Modern Lovers, but you being, I'm going to give you this title, the Duke of Punk, uh, not the King, the Duke. The Duke, I love you it. You own some land in the punk world <laughs> and you do, uh, right? Yeah. I mean, it was, yeah, I mean, this record for me. You know, like anyone that's familiar with it, they say this is the first punk rock record. This is a lot of people say that. I know that there's going to be probably a lot of people that agree, people that don't agree, but that was something that got thrown out. I remember when I first heard it and someone said, you know, hey, this this is pre Ramones. And you're like, whoa, 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 wait a minute. It's like it's like being a Catholic and someone says, dude, this is before God. This is before Jesus. Like this is this is pre you're like, no, there's no dude like that. 
and then they bust this record out. And and for me, I rem- when you asked me about it, I yeah. thought I thought you were messing around because it was a record that definitely was something that as a kid growing up, you you kind of had to spend some time with because they had that song probably if you know Pablo Picasso was an asshole that that song that yep. was on a, that we're was on talking comp- about it. Yeah, that song was on a compilation I remember and you're kind of like, what is this? You know, it was arty. It was different. You know, at that point I was, you know, when I first heard this record, I was like into the, you know, in the black flag circle jerks. How old? How old? Um, I, well, I would, for me, when I heard this record, I had already, by the time I heard this record, um, it was later on in my life. Like I was definitely in college when someone turned me onto it. Like, Hey dude, have you ever listened to, you know, modern lovers? And cause Jonathan Richmond was touring at that point. So people would go see Jonathan Richmond and mm. you know, I wasn't no diss on where he was at that point in his career. Cause he went on to, you know, have a different career than what you'd think would come yeah. out of modern lovers. And yeah. that was a big thing for him. Like he did not, not that he didn't acknowledge the record, but you know, I think he was just a different artist. They made this record. It kind of, while they're making it, funding stops and the label as that happens you know starts to pull the plug so it was kind of one of these things where you know is it going to happen and then you know as the listeners know or don't know this record i mean the people in this band you know drummer goes on to start the cars jerry goes on to start jerry harrison goes on to start the talking heads you know it was on our podcast last week ah so this is what's cool is that this is like yeah dude this is a double dip dude Can I tell you how fucking nervous I, I, anytime we have rock stars on this show, I, if I don't, cause you know, we, we book because they're fans of the, of the record. But for me, I'm like, I'm like, man, I I don't, I know, I know the talking heads. I know the hits, but I do not know the history. If I didn't have my friend Morty just to kind of steer me, it would be like, fuck man. I'm like, I didn't want to come off sounding like an idiot. And he really was cool. I mean, like for real, I remember JT, like we both were like, at the end of it, we were like, cause we always call each other and we're like, dude, that was fun. And it was just like, we just had to look at each other like, Oh, he's, he's not, he's not lame. Thank no. God. Like he's no. not too full of himself. And I knew that we had modern lovers the next week. So I was, I was able to get, you know, and this is for all the people, all the fleece army that hasn't listened to the modern, lo- another modern lovers, the talking heads episode yet go back and listen to it because it's a, you get, he really, I asked some questions about this record, about the band, and he just filled us in. And I think like it really, for me, helped me when I dug into this, put that even into a more concise presentation where it's not like I'm just like, oh, this is a Jonathan Richmond record. No, this was, this is an important record. Yeah. It was Way big. more. Joe, yeah. I was going to say like the funny thing I thought about Jerry, I mean, it was great. It was kind of like the same thing when we had uh, Mike Watt come on oh. right after uh, we did uh uh double nickels on the dime uh, that was like the back to back effect you know it was just so uh, so good. i love how i love how mike watt only guy i've ever met can talk about himself in third person and it's totally normal <laughs> and it works you know i'll tell you right now though, joe i'll tell you right now the watt watt's gonna come down to pedro it's econo style that's what i'm talking about We're yeah gonna, man but those were the lames <laughs> he would just be like yeah but that was we there was the lames and the coolies man. and the coolies and the lames and that we, uh, yeah i'll tell you d boom d boom was my guy and I'll yeah. tell you, man, we, I look over at D Boone, I knew what was, we, we, Econo style, Joe, you know, sometimes some people come up to the Watt and they say, what's up? And I say, you know, we're going to get back to Pedro. 
Dude. He, That's spot on, bro. And uh, also, can we stop this for a second and everybody just applaud for the first time? <laughs> Jeremiah, my producer, is ever's voice has been. Hello. We're not cutting that out. You're a part of the show now because I don't want to be the only person doing this. Uh, this is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts, and new episodes come out every Monday. Hey, what's up? My name's Lurk, and I'm the host of Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. Every week, I have in-depth conversations with bands from all over the scene, big and small. We also like to keep our finger on the pulse and showcase up-and-coming bands on the show as well. So come check out Lamgoat's Van Flip Podcast. <laughs> Can I tell you, not to, we're, obviously, we're going to dive into Modern Lovers, but I got to tell you a Mike Watt story. Um, Please. So, you know, as a kid growing up, Minutemen, such a legendary band. Legendary, Loved them yeah. so much. And as as I got, you know, uh, coming to LA and starting, you know, starting my own band with these three dudes from Chicago. And, you know, we, we had our band wax and the, the common ground that we had at that point, you know, was, and this is like early nineties. So the common ground that we had were, you know, bands like soul asylum bands, like the replacements. And then like what I brought to the table was like, I love the clash. I, you know, I, I, I love, you know, LA hardcore. And, and then yeah. they were, they would be turning me on to different things. But one of the bands that we both loved at that point, all four of us was Firehose, and Firehose was one of these bands that, you know, you, when you'd go to see them play, it, it was about the songs, obviously, but it was also about the performance and you're, you're getting to see Mike Watt and, and these for three dudes, they would just move so much air. And at one point we got to go on tour wax did opening for Firehose, and nice. we, we would, uh, you know, th they were the headliners obviously. And right away when we meet them, just Mike Watt and the rest of the band are just so open and Hey, what's up? You know, there's talking and you know, we just, you know, we're meeting each other. And as the tour continues, we used to do a version of Rudy can't fail from the clash into uh sham 69s at the kids United. And mm -hmm. it was kind of like this medley. And I'll never forget, uh, one day Mike's like, Hey man, the wall wants to get up and play that with you guys. And we're just like, what? And our bass player of course is like, dude, yes. But our bass player thought, Oh, I'll bail and I'll give you, you know, my bass. And, and, and Mike's like, no, we're going to, we're going to have two bases. Yes. I'll come up oh, and play yeah. with you. And we used to do that. And it was, it was, it was just, I'd be singing two songs that I love. And then I'm looking over and you're seeing Mike Watt and like, you know, he's digging into it with just these, he had a hand that was just so this, everything about him is strong. That, like he's one of those kind of guys that he's not going to deliver one note and phone it in. He's going to deliver it. Like it's the last time he's ever going to play. And I remember we would, we would do that song together. And then it was funny because 
as the band that tour ended, that was always the way we ended our show. Like that was like our last song. Like, how do you, how do you not, you have Mike Watt on stage. You're not going to go, okay, cool. So Mike's going to take off when we got a couple more for you. you know? <laughs> yeah. It's yes. like, we're the oh, greatest bases like, ever guys. And now it's yeah. back to just these shitty bus. Yeah, you know song. what I mean? <laughs> so, so he would bail, but I, I, I remember we were at a radio festival in San Francisco and it was a big deal for us because at that point, you know, our song was happening on radio and we were getting, you know, you're getting back then, you know, radio meant a lot. Yeah, and we were getting flown to all these radio shows, and at that point, it was you know it was pre warp tour and pre like huge concerts and things like that, like where alternative music is being played in front of a large group of people, you know. And I remember we're in San Francisco, and it was the same place where I saw Metallica play at uh, Mountain View uh, Shoreline Amphitheater, and I was just like, I couldn't believe that we were going to play in the same place I saw Metallica, you know, before I moved to LA on the injustice for all tour. And we're on this, you know, it was like Elastica was on it and Bush was on, it was like all these nineties, massive bands. And that night, that day we come out on stage and we're playing and Firehose was on it, but like we hadn't seen each other. And it was just like, like Mike, nothing had changed as we went into that cover to end our set. He just comes out and he didn't even talk to us that day. Just knew wax yeah. on tour. Got to the Watts got to play with wax. Walk, you know, he just comes out and we play that song crowd goes crazy. And then he just walks off with his bass and it was like later Mike. And he, yeah, he, so, you know, that guy, uh, legend, such a legend. legend and, and, yeah. yeah. And then the fact that, I mean, gosh, you've had so many amazing people. And you twice, so I don't know what's going on with our booking. Obviously, we've had a hiccup this week because when you told we, me you had Jerry Harrison last week, and then you said, "Yeah, I want to have you," or you know, to talk about the Talking Heads. You know, God, Jerry Harrison. I mean, like that's the thing that's so crazy about Modern Lovers. Like, you know, it never turns out the way you think it's going to turn out. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. think about it. They're making this record, you know, and they're and they're you know Jonathan Richmond and Jerry, and it's like they're coming up with the sound and everything. And you know, when you start a band, you don't you know, you don't, you think it's like, it's like when you get married, you're not like that's starting a band. Like you get married, you put the ring on. Okay, guys, I'm in the band. You know, when you get married, okay, I love you. You're not getting married going, Ooh, there's something better around the corner. You know, yeah. like, someday I'll be in the talking heads, you know, like you don't think that you think this is our band for the rest of our lives. So to see the, the, the people in this band go on to the careers that they had and then Jonathan Richmond, the career he had or has, um, it's just strange, and it for very all the, strange to come out of this record, though. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, like you know, you said something up front. I've talked <laughs> about this with multiple people, and they they've said to me that this could be considered one of the first punk records ever because you know it's 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 almost like at the time you have like the Stooges in the in the late '60s, and you have you know, the Velvet Underground, and you have Jonathan that is kind of, like, obsessed with those two bands. And, I mean, speaking of which, it's like they have one of the guys from Velvet Underground producing this record. And after hearing about those two bands being mentioned of what's popular and what's kind of going down, that's kind of what this record is. It sounds like if the Stooges and Velvet Underground made an album together and or had a baby... And and for me, it's the lyrical content, man. I mean, yeah. um, what's one of my favorite lyrics? And you you'll probably be able to pull this up. And I don't want to get it wrong, but on the song "She's Cracked," where you know he talks about she's out and she stays out late, and he goes, "I stay at home, eat health food." Like, yeah. I mean, dude, like when I also when sing about at that point staying home and eating health food. Like, I remember that song "She Cracked" too. Like, if it for anyone. 
if you're if you're on the fence about checking this record out, I'm telling you right now, obviously Roadrunner, Roadrunner, epic song. But the fucking jam is She's Cracked. And so many bands see we did a great cover of that song, but She's Cracked. Just when it starts out, just that just the beginning, you're like, oh shit, we're in for a ride. And then it just keeps building. And then the way, and the way Jonathan sings, dude, that was the thing that brought me in. And I don't know if I like for me, I mean, obviously Velvet Underground and all that. That but for me, listening to it, you know, over the weekend before we did this again, it reminded me of like bands like like do you remember Pavement out of Stockton? Like, yeah, they're, just, uh, my I have friends that were obsessed uh, with Pavement. Him and that, like Stan yeah. Precop. It's kind yeah. of in that like it's just it's great. It's and another band that another, I got to dig into though. An- yeah, another band, another another kind of kind of has that Beck delivery, like that early Beck. Like Jonathan's singing is for me along with the music and everything but the way he sings to me it's like it's like it's not english but it's like you know he's like hey how far it's like he's like singing up in i can't shut like in your top of your head instead of down low you know even on like you know straight it's like i don't know he just that was to me the selling point when i first heard this record it was so like, you okay. so you hear this a long time ago mm-hmm. um i mean I hear it after though. For me though, you got to remember. For sure, I heard it. I didn't think you heard it in seventy. Yeah, I didn't think you heard this. Yeah, no. When it came out, but I mean, and like, so what does that do to you? You hear this the first time, and you hear that guy's voice, and you hear what almost. I think we keep talking about punk. I I was. I got an argument today saying that this. I feel like this is the the origins of like emo. You know, you know, very emotional. Like he's like, he's, it's, he's very sincere in his lyrics. He's very, he's pouring his heart out. He's talking about how he wants to like take a girl out and, and, you know, and, and run away with her, but you know, because he loves her. It's like, that's not punk. Yeah. Yeah. Or like, like even like on astral plane, you know, the way he sings on that. Um, that's another great jam. I mean, just the rate, I mean, let's just start out with this. So you, you know, for me, at the point I heard this, I'm so into hardcore and, and punk rock. Like, like when I say hardcore, I mean like minor threat misfits, seven seconds. Like that's what I'm, that's what I'm like being raised on, you know? And then I come to LA and I start hearing bands like soul asylum and the replacements. And I'm like, okay. And Elvis Costello and wow, what's this? So my, my music horizon is broadening, you know? Um, And then as I get in this band wax, these guys from Chicago, they just had, a, a really big um, a, amount of music that they had listened to growing up in the Midwest that I didn't know about. Like I, you know, like I turned them onto like skate rock, the faction, Los Tabidados, and they were the ones turning me on to replacements. They were the ones that were turning me on to Goo Goo Dolls. They were the ones that were turning me on to the fluid. Like I was like, whoa, what is going on? Like this is different. They, they were. I remember our bass player. You know, he was like, dude, Soundgarden, check this out. I was like, okay, you know, like. So we had that going on, but our bass player is the one that turned me on and I'll never forget it. We're, you know, we're, you know, like we go to each other's apartments in Hollywood. I lived on Fuller and Sunset nice. and they lived, they lived on, uh, on the other side of rock. You remember rock and roll Ralph's? Of course. Remember yeah. dude, that's it's my fucking there, supermarket, right? bro. Yeah. <laughs> I got so, a deal on, they had a deal on turkey meat. Oh Three pounds God. of turkey meat for six bucks. Yeah, for your for the fleece army. So basically, you got Sunset Boulevard, and right there, there's a there's a Ralph's there, and it was on Sunset and Fuller, and 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 back in the day, 
you know, everyone from Guns N' Roses to, you know, every band that was on the the strip right there would go in there to get beers. And and it would just it just got coined they, the phrase like, dude, meet me at Rock and Roll Ralph's. Okay. Yeah, but which which I like to believe that everything on Sunset Boulevard in that area is is rock and roll blank. It's like, yo, man, meet me at the rock and roll DSW shoes, bro. <laughs> yeah. Rock and roll juice bar. I'll see you there, dude. Rock and roll AM PM, bro. Rock and roll Costco. Yeah, there you go. Yo, you want to go to the adult contemporary uh yoga studio? Okay. Yeah, dude. That didn't, doesn't work as much. That's a different part of town. Rock and roll yoga. Uh, but so the, the thing that's a trip was like, we would just, you know, you go as, you know, we're young kids and we'd spend, you know, the evening, work during the day, spend the evening writing songs together. And I remember I go up to our bass player's house and, or apartment. There's like six dudes living. We'll call there. it a house. I call my place a house. I'm going to go yeah. home. We go back to his apartment. And I remember, you know, he was, he was always so cool. Like, you know, he'd be playing music and he'd light a joint up and be like, dude, I want to turn you on to something. I'm like, all right. And he plays Modern Lovers. And I remember he played, oddly enough, he played the song, I'm Straight. And he's like, dude, you ever, you know, you ever heard Jonathan Richmond, Modern Lovers? And I go, no, man. I mean, I, I've heard about it. I've never listened to reggae. He's like, dude, check this out. And he puts on I'm Straight. And I, we just listened to it. And I was like, I just, like I said, the, the vocal of Jonathan Richmond totally brought me in. And then of course, you know, he went to Roadrunner and then into, you know, She's Cracked and, you know, all the songs. And then at that point I was, I was in, and it was weird because I thought at that time when he's playing it to me, I was, you know, I didn't know it was some old record, you know, cause I'd, I'd never gone down that road. So imagine that feeling of discovering something like imagine right now, like what's a record that you lived and died by Josh, a record that just any record right now that you just go, dude, Desert Island ha- or Desert Island, uh, Stranded on the Island. I'd have to have it with you. What's the record you'd live? I mean, on? this Give is me the one, one that all the fans are going to make fun of me about. Stone Temple Pilots okay. core, bro. Okay. So imagine right now I can erase your mind and you've okay. never heard it and you get to rediscover it. So for me, getting into this record and getting into the songs that were on this record, I thought it was something new. Like I asked him like, dude, like, are we going to play with these guys? He's like, no, dude, this is like, <laughs> broke it up for 20 old, years, bro. bro. Yeah. Ancient history. And even sonically, it didn't sound like that. Like, you know, this is in the nineties when I get turned onto it. So that's, you know, that, that says a lot about the production and, and just how it kind of held up, man. Cause some of those records don't hold up, but, this record, I feel. Um, oh, and like, it's you know, it's it's yeah, it's it just it's this is not, in my opinion, recorded in seventy one, seventy two, and seventy three when it was recorded. This is this is you know, this could be when punk's at full steam. This could have been when the when the Strokes came out. It's just it's it's like you mentioned Beck, and and these are all artists that I feel are like heavily influenced yeah. by Jonathan Richmond. Now. Uh, my only knowledge of this dude was, oh, that's the guy from There's Something About Mary. That's yeah. the dude in the tree yep. singing. And I would have never thought that this is the music that he started with, which from everything I've read, he would by the time this finally got released, he was already so past making rock music that he wanted to do that the basically take the lyrics that he's already singing and place it with a melody that matches the tone of what he's saying. Um, But it's so cool that he, you know, that it's so cool that this is in a sense, like by the time the audience got to listen to it, it had already been almost, you know, five, six years since it had been recorded. And like you said, it's like, like Jerry said, man, he goes, he goes like, I didn't have any time to really, you know, miss the, the, the modern lovers because 
they but having that demo come out when it did is what got him in talking heads yeah so it's you know listen i i'm i definitely fucking dig this record i think it, you know it, it's there's moments where i'm like do i like this am i do you know i don't know how i feel and and then with each listen it just started kind of clicking a little bit more and yeah. more um i think there's a bunch of songs on here that stick out i think roadrunner is oh yeah fucking phenomenal here uh play the intro to roadrunner because this is like this is because we had mia on the podcast maybe three months ago and she basically takes the lyrics from this song and puts it on one of hers and so i was like oh well i want to hear this song so i can you know so i can see where she got it from and immediately when i heard it just uh, the opening i was like oh yeah i'm gonna save this and i will listen to it again and it's just the way it gets counted in just the way it gets counted which is which is an odd counting because he is on the six yeah he's on the six that's the thing dude play play the intro I do. I, I, I see you smiling. Like you Dude, cannot it's not fucking bounce to it. How? Because you know what it is. That, even that line. I'm in love with Massachusetts. Like the way he say it like that. How do you say it like that? Like, dude, <laughs> it's like I'm in. Like it's like yeah. Joey Ramone, but clear. Like Tim Armstrong with, like from Rancid, but clearer. I mean, it's just so fucking great. I mean, I mean, yeah. I remember my son, dude. We used to every day I would take him to school and you know, and and he would get in the back seat and I would go, all right, I mean, we're in the Prius, and I would just fucking jam this this tune. And it you know, he's a in little the kid. Prius. Yeah, we're just jamming. <laughs> how much jamming. how much different music is being played in that fucking Prius that oh, doesn't dude. match the fucking oh, yeah. <laughs> the gas yeah. intake you know of that you, vehicle? You know you're a dad when you're in the Prius. And you think you're cool with the windows down, like singing ACDC, and it's still not cool. Like you're just a dude in his, you know, in the midlife, just singing Bon Scott at full. Long. Like I, <laughs> I, the Prius, I like sometimes, you know, my son and I, we would, you know, I drive to school. But the thing about that song, Roadrunner, uh, was a while ago, you know, because my son's now 16. He, uh, you know, we we share our Spotify, so like he made a playlist, and uh, we were, you know, jamming around one day. You know, he's playing all this music that like as a dad you're like oh, you have to pretend you're in it like oh yeah dude cool a lot of wow stabbing cutting people okay cool all right that, yeah oh yeah dude i support <laughs> yeah. this is great every song you're just going like it feels like pencils in my eyes and then all of a sudden this jam came on he's like i'm like dude he's like yeah i grew up to this song i gotta play it i'm like Fuck yeah! I was so stoked. Like, do do do, do your kids? Do they do they kind of taken your your you know, like your the push that you're giving them towards music? No, uh, I would say this. My daughter is super. She's like she makes um she gets hired. She got hired by Levi's right before COVID and had like a billboard in Times Square where she. Uh, she was in the photo shoot for that. She designs the clothes for photo shoots. So she's just this making her own clothes and doing all these stuff with photography. She does all these videos on her Instagram and, and it's, it's always people getting stabbed. It's very like, you know, Oh, we invited people. And and what are you doing? You're cutting your neck. Okay, cool. Like that's her whole vibe. You know, like, like in her mom, 
does the makeup because she worked on you know, my mom, uh, their mom was a, a makeup artist, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that that's super cool. And it, uh, my daughter's full manager style, like has hired her mom to work for her and, and it gets gnarly. Like, mom, I need this done now. Like, well, hey, you know, like, okay. My son- Mom, I'm sorry, other- but these charts aren't going to work. Uh, yeah, dude, this is so gnarly. last fall. We're yeah. in the spring collection, please. Yeah. yeah, they were in New York together working on a project. And I think my daughter tried to fire her. Like, hey, if you, cause my, if they, cause her mother was like late for one of the shoots. And she's like, mom, I can't, you know what? When I bring you to New York, either you're here on time or you need to go home. I need to know, do you want this? Like she said, do you want this to like her mother? Do you want this? Cause there's other people that'll take this gig from you right now. <laughs> Yeah, um, dude. my son's coffee other- is fucking warm. Ah! <laughs> I was in a ah, ah, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry, Mrs. Sib. Yeah. <laughs> my son, on the other hand, though, he's turned into this like he's always in his room. Just every time I talk to him, he's just he's he calls it the lab and he's just in there making beats, dude. He's just always making beats. And he, he make you know, his friends will be like, yo, Nate, can you make a beat for me? And you know. And we were on the same like server. So a lot of times these songs just appear on my desktop and I listen to them. Oh, wow. You know, did you, what song is this? He's always working on beats. He's um, an amazing singer. He's, a, he's been playing piano since he was, since he could, couldn't even stand. Um, he writes amazing lyrics. In my opinion, like he's still at that part as an artist where he hasn't accepted like, hey dude, your voice and who you are is, is the center of the whole thing and yeah. I know that makes you feel uncomfortable and you're going to kind of back away from it. But when he finally just goes, fuck it. I'm all right. I'm that guy. He's, I think that's going to be the, the, he can sing and just, he plays such great music. And, and, and it might be because, you know, his mom and I played everything from Bowie. They grew up with yeah. Bowie I, to Jonathan Richmond to DC to, um, you know, Johnny cash to Jerry Vale, Dean Martin, um, you know, to Elton John, a lot of Elton John in our house. We just, you know, and then also my kids grew up with the clash. They're like, they know that like what I'm the proudest moment that I, you know what my proudest moments is my what? son, my kids know the difference between the dropkick Murphys and flogging Molly. They know the difference. <laughs> nope. I know that accordion. Nope. That's dropkick. <laughs> that's go. a dropkick song. Yeah. They're, this, this pirate tune is <laughs> definitely not dropkick. Um, yeah, I you know I I kind of got feel the same way with my dad. My dad steered me with jazz, uh, you know, rock not so much, but movies and jazz. It's like if you present it to him, like yo, this is the shit at an early enough age, then we'll learn because we start getting into that like teenage years where we're like, like that's not cool, you know what yeah. I mean? Like my niece is like thirteen, and I said to her, I was like, dude, next year when I come back here, you're not gonna think I'm the cool uncle anymore. And she's like, no, nah, of course I will. I'm like, fourteen, man, that's where it fucking turns. Yeah. Um, For, so, you know, you know, really quick on this record, I want to ask you a question though. You know, when you're discovering the 500, you know, these 500 records that you're going through, you know, Josh, like with this record, you know, cause you got to meet Jerry, you know, mm-hmm. did you, did, when you did the interview with him, was it, kind of hard for you to like not ask questions about modern lovers. Obviously I haven't listened to the, we, yet, what, we, like, did, what yeah, we did, what we did. Well, what we did was, you know, it, I got all the talking head shit out that I wanted to get out, but I knew that I had to ask something and, and then he started bringing it up and I just, and I said, listen, man, I haven't done the research on the record yet. Can, and I haven't really been able to fully like really dig in listen wise. Like I'd listened to it a couple of times, yeah. but I hadn't done my breakdown and I was like, just, 
you know, I mean, he would say something and I would just go, oh, well, tell me about that. And I would just because I knew this week it would be appreciated for the audience. You know, like I said, the same way we did with the with, uh, you know, double nickel on the dime. I was like, we have to. It's like you have the guy and it just so happens that it's a week apart. Yeah. Um, and And you can tell, though, even talking to Jerry, it's like. It's like, dude, it's it. This was a special band for him because if he doesn't get, if he doesn't drop out of Harvard and and join Modern Lovers, then he doesn't get in Talking Heads. God, every it's almost like nightmare. Your kid gets into Harvard and then you have to hear. Mo- you're like, whoa, 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 what? Are, wait, what are we doing right now? Wait, wait, you're in Harvard and we're bailing that. You think you're gonna make it? The singer's not even forming real words. You're gonna, the band's gonna break up before it comes out, honey. I'm telling you right now, you cannot lose this. Heart. Yeah, and then you go yeah. on to do the Talking Heads. I mean, what kind of career? That's crazy. Yeah. Well, and his production career is insane. Insane. Like, so insane. Into that with live and everything. <laughs> yeah. No that doubt. that's honestly what I got the most kick out of was that he produced fucking live throwing, throwing copper. Right. I was like. I was like, it's easy. If you look at the whole discography of what he's produced, it's it's nuts. It really you know? is. I got a sidebar really quick since we're Go talking ahead. about Jerry Harrison. Um, so when I, years ago there was a tour called the Escape from New York tour, and it was the Ramones, Blondie, and the Talking Heads, and they were doing a summer tour. Um, can't remember what year it was. And at that point, CJ Ramon is now in the Ramones. And I, you know, a huge Ramones fan. I went to every, you know, anytime they came to Northern California, I was there. I became really good friends with uh, Arturo Vega, who was the lighting director. He was the one who designed the logo for the Ramones. And then just by being a kid, you know, I was always on the sideline when they came through San Jose. And, you know, I got to know Johnny. And of course, I became friends with CJ, who was my age, and he would replace Didi. And Joey was super cool. And um, at that point, Marky's playing drums. And when they did this Escape from New York tour, um, there was a woman and her name was Jill and she had a, a great zine called Jilted. And I was out of Milwaukee and I met her at this show where we were both the same age. And at this point we're kids, you know, we're both in our twenties and she's hanging out and CG goes, Hey man, this is Jill, Joe, you should meet her. And I'm like, Oh cool. And I meet her and I'm like, so what are you doing on the tour? And she's like, I'm Jerry Harrison's nanny. So like they had their kids out there on the tour and Jill just got to go on the tour, taking care of the kids. And like, you know, so they could be on the, so the family could be on the road together. Yeah. And I was just like, like, I remember like, just going like, like to me, that was like, what a rock and roll dream. Like, so let me get this straight. You're out on the road. Like it was two things. Okay. You're like, this band is so rad that they bring their kids on the road. Like my family never took me anywhere. Like we went to Lake Shasta (laughs) once. Like I never, if my my parents were in the talking heads, they're like, yeah, you can watch it someday later. You're not coming. Like we're like the fact they brought their kids. I remember they had a tour bus and it was just, it was epic. So, so so that's what I'm saying is do your kids appreciate how fucking cool you are? Like, no, no, I don't know. I mean, that's not something you ask him. Hey, man, do you think I'm rad? I'm <laughs> rad. Do I rule or, or am I a fucking, am I, do I, I'm a, a Stoke extinguisher? A Stoke extinguisher. <laughs> um, we, have, we have to let the, does the police army know about Tell them, dude. Please tell them what the no, Stoke you extinguisher know what? I is. Want, I want your version of it because I got to so, say, you took the lead after I did it once. You called me on the phone fo- or we went snowboarding together and you said, Joe, you have to turn Stoke extinguisher into it like, 
a bit reoccurring on your Instagram. And then you that's merch, bro. No, it's merch. It's merch because no, there was like a picture of you. I, th- I think there was a picture of you either on stage rocking or you in a concert and, and it's everybody's just, it's a hardcore show. I assume. And everybody's like, yeah, fuck all into it. Fuck you, yeah. In the, in the picture, but there's one guy in the front row who's just like, just found out that his cat died Arms and he's folded. just like bummed out. And you like circled it and you were like, there's always one a stoke extinguisher. And then I saw a picture of a jam or something else. Yeah. And I fucking saw the stoke extinguisher. And I'm like, you're right. Every one of those rocket photos, every concert you go to, yeah. everybody's having a fucking great time and they're living in the moment and they're fucking there. And there's that one person that just is dead inside and, and doesn't give anything. And just, it's, and it's, it's almost like with stand up, dude. Like we're having a great time ripping and we see the one person that doesn't like us. Yeah, I have a lot of those people at my shows. Just just <laughs> a whole room full of them. Yeah, it's it's just it's a fire truck showed up at these people just like you're not funny, bail. Like, okay, cool. I'm almost done. I'm almost done. I had someone come up to me once in a show in Portland. Someone was saying this to me the other night. They're like, what's the worst thing that, you know, or the strangest thing someone has said to you? And I had these two women come up to me in Portland and um, they said, you know, when you came on stage, we didn't want to like you. And I was like, I've and I'm, that. I'm such a people pleaser. I'm like, cool, man. I totally get it. I'm not a big yeah. fan either. Like, you know, you're just like, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a big fan of my own shit. <laughs> yeah. You know, you go to bed that night and you're like, I'm laying in the hotel. And I'm like, did someone say that to me? Like, why didn't I just, you know, oh, that's funny. No, but my kids, I would say this now that my kids are older and they're into music, um, you know, like the other day, my daughter just, you know, sent me a, it was cool. You know, like she sent me a text and she said, dad, I love this video. And it was, um, you know, there goes my hero Foo Fighters. Right. Yeah. And, um, you know, my, my roommate and the second guitar player in 22 jacks was, you know, Chris from the Foo Fighters. And, um, I don't think he's in that video, but she's like, you know, isn't one of your friends in the band. So it's like, you know, there's, there's stuff like that where like, you know, like hearing them discover that music, you know, my son, on the other hand, like he's the master of like, Hey dad, like, Dude, I, 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 you're, isn't your friend like, you know, I was hanging out with this kid and like his dad's like your bro or something. And I'm like, well, what band? I don't know. Like G, G and Q, G. I'm like, G and R? Yeah, like guns and shoots. No, dude, guns and real. Yeah, his name's, like, his name's called Slip. And I'm all, Slip? No, it's Slash. He's like, yeah. So dude. like, I know that kid. You know, and I'm like, oh, you know Slash's kid? I go, I'm not really friends. I'm not friends with Slash, but. You know, I know, I know Duff. He's like, yeah, okay. Just not understanding. Like my son hasn't had a shirt on you guys in like four years. Like he's just <laughs> never just walks just around ripped. the house. Dude, he is so cut, Josh. No working out. He, he eats Taco Bell and just plays video games and makes beats. And he, and he just walks around the house just just touching himself. Hey, dad. Hey, what's up, girl? My, my dad owns a record label. Yeah. Sure. No, I'm saying in our house, just walking around, just, just, hey, what's up? What's up? I'm like, can we put a shirt on? Like, it's just, yeah. <laughs> ripped. Great musician. And like, yeah, for me to get as ripped as him, I would have to like never eat again. Like you have to start to go on a hunger strike. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but um, uh, yeah. So, there all you go. so, all right. So a little, little bit about uh road runner before we move on Dude. to the next song, Uh beautiful tribute to driving route one twenty eight uh through the suburbs of Boston. Uh, I've been told it is essentially a rewrite of Velvet Underground's 68 song, Sister Ray, which John Cale produced. 
most of this record from the Velvet Underground. This has been covered by Joan Jett Wirefish. Jonathan, in fact, re-recorded this himself. Uh, he did this several times. Uh, there was a single called Road Runner Once with this version on the B-side called Road Runner Twice. Um, all right. Astral Plane. You brought this oh, up earlier. Um, here, play a little bit from it, Peter. Um, I don't know if you get the same vibe, but this has a Doors vibe to oh, me. Totally. This, is, this is fucking Moonlight Drive. Because those little keys, Jerry in the back right there. That's so, yeah, yeah totally. All right, yeah. so, so, so now we've already seen, now they're like punk. They're going through and doing some sort of like, I don't know what you consider the Doors. Like, I don't want to call it classic rock, but almost like circus-y. Dude, so funny you say that. There's a bro of mine. I remember you, we'd be hanging out. You know, you have the one bro that just says it how he feels it. Yeah. And we're all, you know, dude, it's the doors, bro. And he's like, I don't fucking back it, dude. Fucking no bass player, <laughs> fucking keyboard. Sounds like the fucking circus. And just yeah. you're like, whoa, dude, what are you talking about? You know, yeah. it um, does have a, I will say this though. Um, there is that, I think, uh, when you listen to the doors, you, I don't know, it's the time and era, but it, it does have, I don't want to say circus. Cause that's like being disrespectful. It just says, I don't know. Car- carnival. Is that less? Disrespectful? Very carnival. No, it's apt dude. It's very, very carnival. Um, I do like this song. Um, according to bassist, Ernie Brooks, Jonathan, who had a difficult time connecting and relating to women, despite wanting to actually thought he could enter their dreams at night. Wow. Um, all right, Freddy Krueger. Jesus. Yeah, that's a little sk- Richard Ramirez right there, dude. Takes um, Night Stalker to the next level, dude. Night Stalker. Did you see the documentary? No, that stuff freaks me out. I'm not a fan of that kind of. That's no. Do you have, no Do you way. have a lot of nightmares? Do you, what's you, what are your dreams like? I mean, just I don't. You know what it is, dude. Like I don't need to. I know what Richard Ramirez did. No diss. I know people are like it's cool. Not it's cool, but it's just I know what happened. It's not rad, and I don't. I don't want to like if I'm gonna spend time on this planet i don't need to like check that out like i rather check something else out that i could you know walk away with feeling better sure. about. you know i don't know it's too gnarly it's just like you know when you watch those documentaries like you know where, where they go and then the plane was upside you're like did i get it plane crashed people died i don't need to fucking watch that shit you know i rather see something you know that that i could you know like Shark Week. Whenever they show Shark Week, I'm like, no, no. Oh, I thought you were about to say that's what you watch instead no. of Night Stalker. Dude, <laughs> no. I, I'm like, no to the Night Stalker, but great whites jumping no. out of the water to bite shit. Yeah. That's what I want to see. And they always have the reenactment like, you know, we went down to the water. It felt like it was early that morning. I just knew something was wrong. And you're like, dude, don't Wait. go out there. <laughs> Is that What accent was that? Was that supposed to be it Australia? Was, it was like Australian <laughs> with an English Dude, like, and like, their parents just have a stroke. Yeah, their parents <laughs> met on a cruise. The mother was from Australia, and the dad was from um, somewhere in England. And they had a kid that grew up in somewhere like on the East Coast. So, like, they chose- Southern California. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I mean, dude, Astroplane, great song. I do, like I said, I think it has that Doors vibe. All right, let's get to Old World. Um, So this is a song about love in the past and having a great relationship with their parents. And for a lot of artists, something like singing about having a great relationship with your parents is like cheesy as fuck. But with Jonathan, like it really does feel sincere. Totally. And I think that's, and this might be one of my favorite moments on the record. Uh, play 245, JT. I see the 50s apartment house. It's bleak in the 1970s sun, but I still love the 50s and I still love the old world. I want to keep my place in this old world. From what I know of the Velvet Underground, this sounds exactly like the Velvet Underground. Am I wrong about that, or is this like? I mean, I'm 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 gonna I'm not gonna say it sounds exactly, but I'll, I hear where you're hearing it vocally. For me, it's totally different, and it's for not, sure it's not as dark. You know, for me, Velvet Underground is sometimes can be, you know, what you want. You why you listen to Velvet Underground is definitely moody. For this, I mean, dude, that that drumming right there is just fucking in the pocket and yeah it makes you move and and also think about what you just said so he writes a song about having a good relationship with his parents like how like no one ever picks up a guitar and says hey dude let's write songs about how we fucking dig our parents like how punk is that that's fucking that's punk Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like. Hi, this is Paul Phelps. And this is Monica Strutt. And we're from the Daily Music Business Podcast. We're joined by a number of other really great hosts in creating daily content with great advice for independent musicians just like you. That's right. We put out episodes daily on all topics from music marketing to branding, advice on signing with a manager and label and anything else you need to up-level the business side of your music career. We've got it covered. Subscribe to the Daily Music Business Podcast today on your favorite podcast catcher. Subscribe today to the Daily Music Business Podcast on your favorite podcast platform. So then how can this be considered like almost the originator of punk if because this of is that because of that just punk for me is everyone's going this way and you go no i'm going this way going this way hard you know like like you know you could say sid vicious was he punk rock yeah he's gonna cut himself he's gonna mm-hmm. get fucked up you know ian mckay is he punk rock yeah he's not gonna get fucked up he's gonna be straight he's gonna you know like so it's like it's just you know it's as any artist and this is just side tangent on because people always say what's punk what's not punk you know ray charles was punk in my opinion you know uh dean martin jerry vale all those those crooners some of them you know followed one pattern and frank sinatra punk as fuck you know yeah um so like i think when jonathan richmond's doing this it's that weird hybrid of like super cool music but then the lyrics are totally 
different than what you would think. Like you just said, like he's saying, you know, he loves the old world. Like who's, you know, no one's going to say that. And then he just, that's, that's his vibe. And then the way he's delivering it before you know it, you're singing along and you're like, what am I? It's like, it's like, if you ever listen, if you listen to the misfits, I used to always trip on the misfits. They're like, Glenn Dan, like list police army. If you guys one band, did I call it Felice? Felice. Felice. Navidad Army. Felice Complinios. The army with the misfits. It's the same thing. You got Glenn Danzig singing these songs that almost sound like it's like Elvis Presley, this these this magnificent voice. But as a kid, I'm like, it'd be like hack the heads off little girls and put them on my wall. And you're like, whoa, wait a minute. What am I singing? Hack the heads off little girls and put them on my wall. I want your skull. But it's like, it's sung so great that before you know it, it brings you in, you know, and and you're on the journey. And I think with this record, that's kind of what, it's that hybrid. It's what makes it so cool. It's like you said, the Velvet Underground kind of doorsy vibe, but then these lyrics, and then I keep saying it, it's the vocal delivery of Richmond that just makes it so unique and different. No, I agree. That's what I don't think anybody it. else could sing this song and, and oh. give it the same vibe. It almost no has to be a voice style like that. Yeah. Uh, I want to talk about your parents. I don't know if we talked about this on the last one, but huh? I mean, were your parents supportive of you going into this punk rock career choice? I think, I mean, oh yeah, totally. I mean, they, they were supportive. It's like, you know what it is? I don't know. They weren't, they were supportive once they knew shit nothing's yeah we got it he's not he's not he can't do shit it's like this has got anything yeah (laughs) like at a certain point when you know you're 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 barely able to graduate high school you know i did go to college um which you know is a whole other story but i think at a certain point you know for my mom and dad from the time i was a little kid they just knew like this guy is so into this style of music and it's not a phase it's not it's not just like a summer that he's into you know punk rock like it became such a passion for me and i remember for my mom and dad all my dad said to me was you know and my parents were so supportive in the sense like i was always you know you know like i think i talked about on the last podcast when we did it was like you know i I was doing i was a magician at 10 like i did magic oh, shows. we talked about it yeah, yeah. I, you know, I love that shit dude. you I can't forget when on- your friend tells you, you were that he's a magician yeah you know it's yeah <laughs> so it's like i loved being on stage and then and the thing i think that you know for me like i always used to say like when i the first time i saw a punk rocker and it was at the skateboard park it it was like it just i don't know i was just drawn to it and i i was like what's that and you see the spiky hair and the the look and and maybe it just because it was theatrical and back then it was so like those kids like who are they and then all of a sudden there's a music that goes with it and then on top of it for me there's bands singing about not getting drunk there's bands singing about you know not getting fucked up and i'm like dude that's me like these lyrics speak to me this kid speaks to me kevin seconds you know, what a cool name. His name's, is that really the seconds family? Like, are there other people? Made? Like, like I was so in, I thought the Ramones were really brothers for years until my friends like, dude, they're not. I'm like, what? Like I totally believed it. So for me, my parents, I think they were like, you know, he, this, there's not a lot going on for him unless it does happen in that world. So let's, you know, my, my dad, you know, he had a weird, not a weird way, but he had such a great way of parenting 
to make sure I didn't turn into a blow it in the sense that when I was living with him going to high school, I just wanted to go to punk rock shows every single weekend. And he learned really quick. All right. I have to at least get this guy to graduate high school. So like I, I, you know, when bad religion would come to town, I'd be like, dad, I want to go see bad religion. Okay. You got to get a B on your midterm, a B he's like B stands for bad religion. And I have to get a B. So I would cram and study and learn. And then, you know, I remember I wanted to see, you know, during the summer, you know, I wanted to go see like GBH or, you know, Peter and the test two babies or the addicts. And, and my dad would only let me do that. If I did something else, like you got to read this, you got to do that. And I would just jam. Okay. I'll do that. So he was using punk rock for me to, you know, basically learn what I was supposed to be learning. But at the, at the, at the same time, he knew how much I love this music. And, and one thing I will say about my dad, he was a college professor and, and he, you know, in, in the late seventies and through the eighties. So he saw punk rock when it came to America and he knew yeah. those kids. He always says this, he always says, Joey, I would see these kids, these punkers in my, you know, in university. And I would say, I love those kids. Those are the, those are the different thinkers. Those are the kids I love until it's your kid. Once it's your kid, you're like, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, don't want that. Wants that shit, dude. <laughs> Yeah, dude, it's always fun to hang out with somebody on ecstasy, but I don't want to see my kid rolling balls on the couch. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I, I can imagine what that's kind of like, man. You know, my parents, I feel like are the same way with seeing me and being like, you know, all right, well, he wants to do comedy. He wants to do music. It's like, just try your best to fucking get something as a backup plan. Little do they know that all they're doing is just wasting our time. Like let us go fucking full steam into punk or comedy or whatever the fuck it is. But what I um, what I what I love though about you, Josh, though, you know, and it was even like it was before COVID when you remember the trip you took with your mom and you you know you Italy, used the money. Yeah. yeah, and I I remember like you know we were hanging out one night. I forgot where we were, and, and you know you told me how you got the cash to do it, and it was like, man, I'm paying for this trip off of what I do, you know, for a living and all the hard work. And I was like, man, what? a solid thing to do for your mom because isn't the story your mom would always like, you know, when I, when you, what was the joke she would say? I, every time, every time she gave me money, which was a lot when I was really broke, you know, she'd be like, you're taking my Italy money. There and you I was go. like, I was like, I'm going to take you one day. And then, you know, February of 2020, we got it in oh. right before, like as COVID was oh. dropping, we got it in. And you got out. I was patient zero. I brought it. I brought it to exactly. America. Yeah. Oh I was the gosh. guy that got half of LA infected. I made it a super spreader. I Every love, show I did super spreader. That's what I loved uh, that you did because it was. You know what? I know the trip because uh, you, me, you, and Jeremy uh, Watkins had just. Uh, got, remember, we did a gig in where was it? Reno. In Reno, yeah. In the snow, and we went snow. Remember, we all went that snowboarding like, together. That was one of the funnest days ever. It feels like, like fucking lifetime ago, dude. And it yeah. was a year ago from right now. Yeah. Janu- I think it was January 20th. Yeah. We get, yeah, we get this gig that that's the best thing about comedy is when you, you just get these gigs. And when, you know, at a certain point when the person that hires you goes, you know, Hey man, you know, do you, do you know any other comics? And then right away, you just think of like, who would be fun on this trip? Who, like, who's fun to hang with? Yeah. That's it. It says no idea. Like, I don't give a shit yeah. if, they, if they if they have two minutes of material, if they yeah. are fun to hang with. Dude, being a fun hang gets so many oh. people booked. Yeah. So many. Dude, I'm telling you right now, I haven't gotten to where I got in my life without, like, the talent is just, and the fun yeah. hang. What up? <laughs> Who needs a beer? Yeah. What's human, up, dude? You're human Prozac, bro. Yeah. Just, dude, are you stoked? Totally. Woo! 
Yeah. <laughs> Best thing ever. Pablo motherfucking Picasso. Uh, he keeps repeating this phrase throughout the entire song, and I did a little bit of research. So let's play the phrase first. Pablo Picasso was never called an asshole. All right, that's it. All right, that's all I need to play. It. So I Googled Pablo Picasso asshole. And literally uh, 20 pages are, are about him being an asshole. So he was a womanizer. Uh, he disowned some of his kids. But in my opinion, the most asshole thing about him was how long his name was. Uh, his full name is Pablo Diego Jose Francisco de Paula Nepo Menseno Maria de los Remedios Cipriano de la Santisimia Trinidad Martyr Patricio Clito, swear to God, Clito Ruiz E. Picasso. Wow. Yeah. Clito. Nobody goes, nothing on Clito. Just telling you, throw that into your scene. Josh Clito Adam Myers. So, so you like this song a lot, right? Uh, you know, honestly, uh, it wasn't my favorite at all. Really? Nah. Why did I assume that you liked it? You know, it was one, like I said to Jeremiah, like it was one of those songs that showed up on a comp. It was like, you know, it, was some, it would always be the song that if they were going to play, you know, something by the Modern Lovers, it was this song. And, and it just for me, it just, I, it didn't resonate with me. I was like, all right, cool. It felt like more of a novelty song than like, you know, like, like, you know, when I look at the rest of the songs on there, you know, She's Cracked or, you know, obviously the next one, Hospital you know, amazing modern love, you know, just, uh, I'm straight. Like this song, this song to me just wasn't my jam. Just no, and I, I, I appreciate that. Yeah, Thank so, you for being so honest. So novel, novelly, like, like, ha, ha, you know, let's get to the one that, that you don't think is, and that she's cracked. Oh yeah. Wait, can, yeah. She's cracked. The next song is, I mean, just, can we start the intro on this? It's just so, I mean, you're in, here we go. You're a hundred percent here. Play it. So when we were talking about the combination of the Velvet Underground and the Stooges, this is that. This is that 100%. Um, we're talking about Jonathan being this sensitive person. And I mean, if you want to think about a song, if you want to say what song represents that, this is it, my opinion. Because he's talking about, you know, dating this girl. He's in love with this, like, self-destructive lady and it's incompatible with his lifestyle. I mean, I love this line I pulled. She'd eat garbage, eat shit, get stoned. I stay alone, eat health food at home. Dude, I have been in that relationship. Dude, I'm telling you, that I, when we started this, that was the lyric I quoted. That is so rad when he says, he's basically saying, like, he's ahead of his time. She's going out, getting loaded, and he's at home like you, Josh. Sit-ups kettlebells drinking <laughs> you know staying sober vaping uh, I mean, he might not ish. be vaping but like you know what i'm saying dude this is your jam this is you josh this is who you are yeah i i mean i it's like that chris rock joke is that you know if you go to church and she smokes crack it's not gonna work you know what i mean it's like it's the truth 
and I've been in that relationship. So I 100% related to this song. Have you, have you ever dated somebody that was just fucking like, what's the most incompatible relationship you've ever had? And it could also be with, with fucking somebody in a band or something. I would say, I would say the, uh, you know, I've never dated or been with anyone that was like, like incompatible like that, but I would definitely say, you know, when you're in a band, like I would say, you know, like I could say that, you know, when I was in wax, probably, you know, uh, I was, you know, we were incompatible, not with like drugs or anything like that, but just by like, Hey man, maybe you should wash your clothes once in a while. Like just, you know, maybe we take a shower. I don't know. No, we're not going to. Okay. Got it. You know, like that's, you know, just, Hey, maybe, maybe we don't wear the same, uh, dude, we, when we left California three months ago, those pants were on you and they're still on you. And now we're back home, you know? Wow. Okay. Like, I think that was the most incompatible, like the most it's a hard word incompatibility <laughs> that I ever had with people. But I was lucky that I've never, I've been super blessed that the people around me, you know, um, I haven't, I haven't ever had like drug or alcohol or like something where it's so like out of control that like it, it affects my relationship with them. Um, I have been around people that are on cocaine and I didn't know they were. And I thought, wow, I've met my tribe. Like these people are stoked. And then later on they say, no, we're on cocaine. I go, oh, okay. And, and I'm not. And they go, you're not, no way. You know? So we're not starting a business together. <laughs> dude, we're a band okay. business, dude, so many up late at night, we're going to start a cover band. And it's yeah, dude, so many bands started so many. <laughs> All right, uh, let's move on to Hospital. Um, oh, great. So th this is recorded in 71 from their first demos while still in Boston. So uh, what's this about, everybody? Some have considered this something of a stalker anthem or an ode to a prostitute. I never got that vibe, but I also <laughs> thought people weren't on cocaine that were. So I don't know. So, yeah, don't don't go by me. So this is so this is pretty interesting. Uh, so Jonathan has introduced this live by saying it's about a Jewish princess. However, there might be something to that stalker idea because there is a legend that Jonathan slept all night on the lawn uh, in the rain outside the window of his future wife while she was married to and sleeping with someone else. Wow. And that I'm down for everything that he did right there. Except with it raining, that's where I might bail. I mean, I don't. So you cut it. That's right. I can sleep on the. I'm in the front. It's cold. Okay, I love her. I'm gonna prove to her. But once it starts raining, I don't know. Are you gonna bail? Are you? Are you? Are you gonna go? Dude, I've done some fucking crazy shit for you know. I'm not. I'm not a stalker. But when I was in my early twenties, man, I dude, I remember like when I heard this song and I read that, I was like, fuck, man, that if this would have happened in the fucking when I was like twenty two. Yeah, man. I one time I met this girl. We hooked up. I met her on like it's. I met her. I was DJing a show. She showed up uh, to uh, to actually train to be a DJ for the same private party company I was working for, and uh, we went out. We made out at the National Cathedral. I dropped her off. She gave me her number, and then the next day I called her like fifty times because I was trying to get her to pick up the phone. And I was like, and like looking back at that, I'm like, what were you doing, man? Like fifty times. Now, luckily. At least I don't think they had caller ID. I mean, they might have, and if they did, then I'm a fucking nutball, dude. But back, yeah, back, man, I back if I did that, it, it back in the day, dude, we had answering machines, so that it goes, dude, you know, leave a message at like a full on cassette style. Like I remember that, yeah, dude. Remember how the outgoing message was 
everything you had. That was the Instagram of like, you had to put, I remember I used to put music on it. I used to like work on my dad would go, what are you doing? I'm like, dude, outgoing message. Okay. Got it. Like it was so important that outgoing message on your machine, man. So wait, did you, did you do it like this? Hey, yo, this is Josh Adam Myers. I'm not home right now, but leave your name number and I'll call you back as soon as I can. Peace out, y'all. No, that wouldn't be my message. My message was like this, dude. This was me. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Joe Sid, man. There's a party this weekend. Looks like it's going to be over near the lake. And then, hey, man, we got a jock party going on in Blossom Hill. Leave your number at the tone. Lake! All right, that was way better than mine. All right, so let me do... What's up, everybody? It's Josh. I'm not here right now, but leave a name number and I'll call you back. It just doesn't work. Am I, I, I always sound like a strip club DJ. All I, yeah, all I, I love all I love about yours, and I'm going to date myself so much. When we were growing up, there was always, and dude, you remember these from New York? You remember 976? Like, hey, are you alone? Call 976. Yeah. Talk to me. You know, you're like, dude, as a kid, you're like, dude, I got to call that number right now. You know, like, yeah. dude, your messages sound like, the, like when you call <laughs> the number, there was always a dude like you on there. Hey, we need your credit card number. And if you're under 18, keep that to yourself. Okay. Like, the bill would come, and your parents are like, who's calling that? Nine seven six numbers, and you're like living there. I don't know, just totally. I don't know who does that. I got caught doing that with a Miss Cleo thing. I called like Miss Cleo like seven times the night that uh, that uh, Cal Ripken Jr. ended his streak. Just to give everybody an idea, so it was like two thousand, maybe like no, I'm sorry, it's like nineteen ninety eight. And uh, me and my buddy got drunk and we called Miss Cleo like. I don't know, four or five times. And you were supposed to, you were supposed to get the first 12 minutes free. But what I didn't know was you get 12 minutes free, but you get the first two minutes free on the first six phone calls. Uh, and that bill came just on a day that I had been day drinking and I fell asleep at like 5 PM. And that was the first day me and my dad fought. Oh, dude. And I took them. Oh. Not a really happy ending story, but I'll give you a funny, happy fact Jerry Harrison, uh, this demo was actually given to the record company from the private collection of last week's guest, Jerry Harrison, modern lover's keyboardist, uh, who had the only copy lying around. Wow. That's what's so cool about this record is that there's like, like they had to like go, like put it together piece by piece. Yeah. Because like it had just all gone by the wayside. And, and at that point, like you said, they had already all moved on by the time it came out. So, you know, that's like, I, that's, I mean, I don't, I mean, there's other stories like that, I assume, but for me that when I heard that, I always was like, wow. And then, you know, like we said earlier, they went on to start so many different careers in other great bands. Always hold on. Just the way I'm holding on to the shekels, always hold on to your Jewish hip hop group albums that you made in your <laughs> parents' basement. All right. Someone I care about. Uh, this, in my opinion, is the most rocking song uh about being a hopelessly sensible romantic uh jt play it there's a certain kind of girl that you care about so much you say oh i don't care what you guys do to me but her don't touch because i don't want just a girl to fool around with 
I mean, wow. listen to what he's saying, dude. He's talking. He's like, I don't want a girl just to fool around with. Like, this dude wants love. I mean, I, I, I appreciate that. It really is, I think, what's actually drawing me in to like this record even more. Because there's so many guys, you know, in, in music, which is like, yeah, fucking fuck her and I leave her because I'm a player, blah, 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 blah. But this is like really sweet and sensitive. Once again, the hybrid. You got that music. I mean, just that song right there, you know, moving. And it's that hybrid with the lyrics you're talking about. Totally different for what people were putting out there. It wasn't like, I'm going to love you and leave you, you know, oh my gosh, you know, I slept with you and then I bail. Like, and if you go to the straight edge, dude, like, you know, we're going to go down to the next song, you know, pretty soon where it's, I'm straight, but you know, straight edge, you know, don't drink, don't smoke, don't fuck, don't fuck. That's like the three core things. And he's, he's going to say later, you know, he's straight. And at this point he's saying, I want more of a girl, like you said, to not to fool around with, but to be in love. But you, but I didn't know that you can't fuck if you're straight edge. Well, like it was the whole thing with straight edge was like, it wasn't, I don't, and I'm, I don't like, once again, I said this earlier, I don't, uh, I'm not saying I know like the straight edge. I mean, I know the straight edge movie cause it started when I was growing up, but my, my take on it was the don't smoke. Obviously I got that, the don't drink. And then the don't fuck meant, uh, from what I gathered from it was you're not just sleeping around and using women and being a womanizer or women using men for sex. You're like, if that moment's going to happen, it's got to be more than just, Hey, we're doing this just to do it. That's what I took from that. Now I'm going to get a bunch of for everyone that's starting to go no. on my Instagram and just say, you don't know. <laughs> this is, this is this, the straight edge movement is going to fucking Rip you apart, Joseph. But the point being is a lot of people, and I don't know if this is documented anywhere, but I've heard a lot of people that are involved in the straight edge scene and that were, you know, super into it. They would say that these lyrics that Jonathan Richmond had uh, that were some of the earlier straight edge lyrics, because what was going on at the time was not the type of lyrics you're picking up on being sung all the time. Like so it, it's funny that you say that talking about lyrical stuff. So John Cale uh, is quoted saying years later about Jonathan's song and the band that they were not aggressive, they were weak. There was a definitive weakness about the music, and this weakness kept on developing and developing until it was still just a weakness. Um, and I believe that. I think that's kind of the trait of this band, that it is so sincere. Yeah. You know, it's like this, this, like Jonathan has value. You could, you know, he has values because he walked away from when modern lovers finally comes out and they're like, we want more of this music. And he's like, no, I don't want to do this kind of music anymore. I want to make yeah. these like hopelessly romantic songs. Yeah. I mean, and then the next song is girlfriend. Um, so that kind of follows still in the same tradition of somebody that, you know, that wants one, this is pro girlfriend. This is an anti girlfriend. No. Yeah. This, in my opinion, really, kind of echoes like the the late 50s and and early 60s like pop ballads like this is, this sounds like the same shit that influenced like Bruce Springsteen um play uh 137 bro oh that's a G I So here's an interesting take that Morty wrote. 
So, girlfriend in the song is spelled G-I-R-L-F-R-E-N. Um, and he says it works with the rhythm, but also he wonders if there is a Freudian double meaning by leaving out the letters I and D to both represent that which would bring Jonathan's identification as well as the absence of his id or base desires. Wow. You and I did not come up with that. but Not Gordon, at all. Yeah. I can't think yeah. like that wow. i would have like, i would have been what? like he left some letters out when i read <laughs> when you read that though that i that could be a real idea i know that i can't go that to that place but i just thought he put took the word like maybe he didn't know how to spell it or something like well it works with it works with the rhythm of the song yeah you know wow. but it's i mean the but musically um yeah i mean i think that's kind of what makes it a little bit interesting by leaving yeah. out those two things i mean listen i i kind of I kind of think that, you know, obviously Jonathan was like a smart guy and you have someone like Jerry Harrison in the band who went to Harvard. All so, of them are it, smart, man. All of them are smart. So, yeah. So maybe that was like a whole play or it's just, you know, it's like it's like I'm trying to think of what um, what other songs kind of misspell shit. What what give me a give me a song. It's like famous. That, that misspell. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say everything's. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know about a particular song that might have it, but I think what you're hitting on, though is that's one of the things that made modern lovers and this particular record so cool was that it, it they could have dished it up in a way that was so predictable but once again that hybrid of the lyrics along with the music and putting it together and like you just said i mean you have people that you know were going to harvard it wasn't like hey dude we're all in community college and we're not pulling it it's like these people are smart and and the music reflects that. But it's also done in a way, though, I got to say, because for me personally, it would have turned me off. It was done in like a snarky way. Like I can't stand it when I know, like, you know, when you're with someone that is smart and you listen, you're like, wow, this is great. But someone that's snarky, that's like, I'm better than you. I'm, And you're like, all right, I get it. I get it. Like they didn't do that. That's what I liked about it. No, I completely agree. I mean, that's the charm of Jonathan. They wouldn't have put him in there something about Mary if he was a fucking dick. But the thing that I think that's so ironic about the band is, is, you know, the, when you listen to these songs, the, the feeling that, you know, you get Josh or the feeling that everyone got when they listened to it is almost so different. Like when you just said, you know, it, it, them being weak, that became a weakness, you know, that for people that like for me or, or other people that grew up on like harder punk rock, this still spoke to them, which is just wasn't probably like when they were doing this, they probably weren't, like I said, that song uh, she's cracked was covered by this band called seaweed. I doubt they ever thought it would have that type of influence on other musicians that were so into hardcore and punk rock, you know, like, and, and it makes sense why Jonathan was like, yeah, that's not who I am. And this is who I am. So that's a, I just think it's ironic. Well, think about actually. I was thinking about Velvet Underground. Velvet is kind of a soft word, isn't it? Like, a, or a texture or whatever. And like, modern lovers and it's like weakness. It all kind of like fits in the same path. Guns and roses. Like, <laughs> yes. same, no, no, that's, roses. that's why they did the it. That was why they did it. No, they exactly. did guns and roses because if it was called guns and missiles, you'd be like, "Fuck this fucking yeah, these hardcore people." Yeah. It's like, yeah. no, it's too gnarly. Guns are bad. Roses are cool. Beautiful. Yeah. Okay, and cool. I didn't know roses were cool, but I guess they are. Pretty are they rad. cool? Pretty rad, bro. I was more of a daffodil. I thought daffodils were the most, most fucking cool. boss flowers. Um, all right. Last song on this record, Modern World. 
This is about Jonathan trying to convince a girl to live in the present moment with him, which I love because I spend 20 minutes a day meditating to get there. Uh, JT, go ahead and play it. that line put down the cigarette and drop out of BU um, because <laughs> that brings to mind uh, a lot of Jonathan's early free shows at Boston Common Cambridge Common and Harvard Square that caught the interest of Jerry and Ernie so I know this isn't like you know it wasn't like the sequencing on this record is like oh we're gonna go from this song to this song this is just the songs that they recorded at different years and or 71 72 and 73 and they put it together but for the framing of this record, what we've all just listened to together, um, you know, Roadrunner, you open the record with. Do you open this? Do you close this with Modern World? I mean, you know, for me, uh, I don't, you know, I, I'm not going to say like that, that song is my favorite. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Uh, it's cool. But uh, I don't know. For, for me, um, yeah, I don't know. That's a that's an interesting question. I, I I think I don't I don't I don't I mean that song's the song's cool and I, and I like it, but it, it's not. It's I'm gonna just be honest. It's not like my go to. Like if I'm gonna listen to this record and pinch three songs from it, or if I'm gonna you know if I'm spinning and someone's like yo, dude, I'm gonna I'm not gonna play that song. That would just be me. I don't know why Amen. I feel like I'm telling, like, I don't, I don't know why I'm delivering this information. Like Jonathan <laughs> Richmond's staring back at me right now. You know, it's, well, yeah. he's right here right now. John, come, come out, buddy. In. Comes in. No, with I agree. Acoustic. I think, I think where this, where this album is, is, you know, where I want to call it the negatives. Cause I don't think really it's a negative thing about it is that this is just them assembling all those songs and kind of laying that out there for you. I don't think there was like a real thought process between we put this one into this one. Maybe, but from my knowledge, it doesn't feel like it has that flow. I mean, I don't know. Um, maybe, and maybe it wasn't even. I mean, do we know? Like, did the band sequence it? Did someone at the label sequence it? Like, I don't know. You know, like you said, it was recorded so many different times. It wouldn't be surprising if someone kind of else came up with the sequence. Maybe it wasn't them. I don't know. Quick modern question for Sibby. So, like, tell me, like, it's they're called modern lovers, right? And then the music comes out so much later. So it's like, how modern could it be? Or they're ahead of their time or whatever. But like now when music is dropped on Fridays or whatever, it's a single or whatever, like the industry now, as you're very much still involved, like what is your take on like modern and like how quick shit gets out compared to back in the day? Oh man. I mean, I, I often think about the, okay. The, with technology and music and everything going on in the world. I mean, imagine if, you know, if Lennon and McCartney had access to what we're just using right here. You know, imagine how many more Beatles songs we would have had. Imagine if Zeppelin had access to literally what just what we're using here, these microphones, this computer, like, okay, let's run it. Let, dude, you know, let's do another song. You know, um, that to me, it, I always think about that, you know, because back then it was like, hey, we're going to, you know, even a cassette player to record and things like that and and how experience, how the experience of being in a band was so different then um, to now, you know, the thing, the thing I think is, I think it's a double-edged sword in, in the sense that I think being able to record music and get it out as quickly as you can, and that it's not a six month period. It's not, Hey, 
you know, once we start recording, we have to go into the studio and, and we're going to do it this way. You know, you can, people are making great records, you know, in bedrooms and, and people and kids are recording amazing records. I mean, when I first started signing bands and started working with bands, it was a whole process of, Hey, you know, we have these songs. Okay. Let's, let's find the right studio. Let's find the right time that we're going to do it. And now what ends up happening, which is, is, is great is a band could be like, Hey man, we've, we've already self-produced our record. Hey, we already have this done. We want to do this. And you're like, okay, we just need a team around us to release this record. Um, the only drawback I have, and oddly enough, you know, we were talking about my son and he just recently experienced this is because you can just put stuff on SoundCloud so quick. He had the experience of shit. I didn't master that. Damn. That sounds like shit. He got bummed and I'm like, you know, and it was funny cause we were at lunch together and he's, and it was, you know, we'll all know this. It's like, I'm like, he's like, yeah, man, I dropped this song. I'm so psyched on it. And I'm like, how, you know, what are the, what are the, you know, how many comments he's like, yeah. And he's listening to it and he's like, damn it. And I go, what happened? He's like, dude, I just didn't finish the mix and I got so excited on it. I should have, I go, yeah, you know, you should, you, you know, you got to listen to it in the car cause that's where everyone's going to listen. You got to listen to it on your phone. That's where they're going to listen to it. And he was like, it was that moment watching my son go through the same thing I've gone through as a singer in a band where you're like, oh, so you mean going into the studio? The true story with Atlantic Records. And they asked us, hey, Wax, we want you to demo two songs and then we're going to listen to them. And then we'll talk about possibly, you know, signing the band. We don't we don't go into Cherokee Studios in Hollywood to record two songs. We come up with the bright idea because they're giving us the studio at night after hours. Like, hey, come in at eight o'clock and you know, you'll leave at one in the morning. We're like, no, we're going to record 12 songs. So then we give 12 shitty songs to Atlantic and they're just like, okay, you know, like now nah, we wanted two that were really good. So you learn those lessons as you go. And the only thing I would say with and I think it happens to stand up a lot, man. You know, we record a bit, you have a video and you're so psyched on it. And you think the bit is done. You're like, oh my God, it'll never be better. And then you throw it on YouTube and sure, you know, it might react and everyone loves it. And then all of a sudden you're doing the bit and a year later, you're like, damn, that bit is so much better now because I have the tags where they need to be. I paced it better and I got so excited. I just threw it up there and, and, you know, and, and it's not like music people, once they know the, the ending, they're like, okay, I saw this like a year ago. Now we're doing a new version. There's no, like, you know, like the, the remix of the bit, like that doesn't exist in comedy. And that, that's the, I think sometimes the, downside to the fact that we can record and release so quick because you might not let it's like it's like making pasta dude like we all know like you you cook it on sunday and the sauce is good sunday night but dude wednesday night when it's just been all in there mixing that's the coagulated yeah dude that's the equivalent of music you got to take the song on the road in my opinion you got to take it on the road you got to let it breathe you got to let people listen you got to see okay this real okay cool and then boom then you record it that that can be a great moment but you know people are also like i don't know weekend you know, like great songs. I don't know. Like I, that, you know, the, it, he might be like, dude, I don't do any of that. It's just, this is the way I do it. And I'd be like, okay, cool. You know, like, you know, that's like, that's, those are jams, man, that I love. So I don't, I don't know how long they sit in the oven before he puts them out. One Hit Thunder is a podcast where we both celebrate and have a good laugh about bands and artists that had just one hit that we all know. Each week, we're joined by a guest from the world of music or comedy to learn more than you ever thought you would about some songs that you can't forget. And we decide if they brought the one-hit thunder or were nothing more than a one-hit blunder. 
Look, if you listen to the show, you're probably going to laugh, and I guarantee you're going to crush next time the bar has music trivia. Tag Team, Jane Child, Meredith Brooks, Looking Glass, Sean Mullins, Eiffel 65, EMF, Crash Test Dummies, Crazy Town, Chumbawamba. We have hundreds of episodes in our back catalog and a new episode each week. So pass the duchy, make sure you're connected, and subscribe to One Hit Thunder wherever you get your pods. Getting getting the the mixing, 100% you have to get done, but the idea of like noodling around with something too long and then you wait too long to perfect it and you know you get a Chinese democracy. Dude, I'm a firm believer of all of the songs that I wrote that ever did anything in my musical career. Like, you know, in Wax, dude, the song, California. That was the jam. That was the one that fucking broke us open and we wrote that song in three minutes. You know, like we just, it was, we were both me and the bass player. We, he was all, he, we went drinking and he was like, he had this idea for a drum beat and he, and he, all night long, he's just doing that. And then we went over to the studio. I threw the bass on, you know, he's like, dude, just play this rhythm. Okay, cool. I'm playing a rhythm. He starts playing the drums. And then all of a sudden, you know, our real drummer comes in, guitar player comes in, he comes up with the hook, you know, they, they went to the next level, but all of that shit, I'm writing lyrics over in the corner. We wrote that song in three minutes. Now, the songs that you spend, you know, six days on, and it's like you hear with the Beatles, the same thing, you know, like if it has that natural momentum and tying it into comedy, I know the best bits I've ever come up with are the bits that you're, you're just, you're riffing with a bro and they go, oh my God, dude, you should, dude, do you say that on stage? And you're like, no. And then you write it down and then you go on stage and it just, if it, if it just hits because it was so natural, it wasn't like, you know, and I know you've done this, Josh, where like you start, you're like, all right, dude, I'm going to go on this like bit. That's going to be so awesome. And then all of a sudden you're just like, after, you know, three times of trying it, you're like, dude, this doesn't, this isn't working. It's just like, it either has the natural momentum or it doesn't. That's Best jokes opinion. I've ever written are the ones that I I thought and then I said the exact way that I thought and it's always works. And anytime I try to like noodle with something, ah, well, I don't want to do this yet. It's like, dude, you just got to fucking do it. You got to get it out there, you know? And what's great though is that I'm not going to, as a comic, I'm not going to be recording every bit and posting it until I'm like, oh, this is done. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know this is done. Now I'm going to put this out on a record or I'm going to put it out on, you know, online. I, I think but. what happens though, I think what happens though is when you start, you know, like when you start, at least for me, you know, I look back at old material that's out there and it's so cringy and I'm like, oh my God. But at the time I thought it was ready because people were laughing. And then you realize, oh man, what kind of laugh do you want to get? You know, like you don't really know that. And I think the same thing happens with music sometimes, you know, you just, you you're starting a song you're you know you're like let's do this i tell bands all the time you know they're like we're ready to record are you are you you know like are you ready to record you know what what and and i used to always say this to bands too they're like but you don't understand we have to get the record out now and i'm like why and they're like you just because they want it out now and i remember i used to always say like you've never seen anyone get the grammy and go you know we just want to thank my mom thank my dad and I do got to say, if this record would have came out like three months earlier, I think it would have been a lot cooler. You know, like they don't, you know, they never say that. You <laughs> yeah. know, they, they always say, you know, when it's time, it's time. But I think um, even with this whole Modern Lovers record, it is such a unique story of different songs being recorded, coming out at a different time, and then the way it was received. And then even Jeremiah, with your, you know, with your act, act, asking about the technology and how that affects. I think now, today, more than ever, 
if you're a musician, what a great time to be a musician because you can get your music out without getting signed and without having, you know, uh, you don't have to, there's not that gatekeeper anymore. Uh, well, let's see. Well, you know what? Let's see if it's good enough. You know, Hey, does that, is there a lot of shitty music out there? Absolutely. But like, you can also do what my son did start his SoundCloud. And all of a sudden, you know, he's got people saying, dude, make me a beat. So it's like, that to me is the exciting part. And then, you know, I think with record companies and record labels, you still need, you always want an extra set of ears and eyes to help you, you know, reach your thing. But this, this record is definitely the modern lovers, man. I mean, once again, dude, it never goes down the way you think it's going to go down. So that, that record. And that actually leads into the first fact that I'm going to do about how it doesn't end up the way you think it's going to end up. So besides Jonathan being thought of as a godfather of punk, every member of the band went on to solid careers. Jerry Harrison to Talking Heads, David Robinson to The Cars, Ernie Brooks to several popular solo artists like David Johansson, and even founding member John Felice, hopefully I said that right, who left before this record formed the popular Boston power pop band, The Real Kids. So I wanted to ask you, being that you were uh, you were a front man in in Wax in Twenty Two Jacks, you start the record label and then you become this great comic. When did you first feel that decision was accepted by both communities? Took a long time. I think because it, it, I remember, especially with comedy, I felt like when I was hanging, like I learned really quick over in the comedy world, they they weren't they were. They weren't, I don't want to say people weren't welcoming, but they definitely had a, there was definitely like a, so who are, what do you do? Who are you? You know, um, you know, like a little, just like, so now you're doing comedy. Like I felt like, I felt like I always felt the equivalent of when I was a singer in a band, if an actor all of a sudden started singing, I was like, fuck that, bro. You're an actor. You're not, you're not, you're not in my world, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, you remember how we had those actors that like, I'm going to start a band and they, you know, they put out a couple songs. Kevin Bacon. Russell Crowe. No, 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 not not those dudes. I'm saying like it was just different. You know, it'd be like it would be more like it wasn't like the act that the caliber of actors that you're the Bacon Brothers. I always I always watch their Instagram. I love their stuff. But anyway, I'm saying like more of a poppy actor that would just like all of a sudden go. I'm going to be a musician now. Some you know whether or not they were a musician first or 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 second or whatever. I just felt like. That to me was always like, you're in my world. So then when, when I went from comedy over, you know, when I went on, when I went from being at the house of blues to going over and hanging out at the laugh factory or, you know, going over to the improv, I felt a little bit like when I was meeting people and I, and I understand now why, because what you're saying is, oh yeah, you know, I'm pretty good at singing and being a front man. Now I think I could be pretty good at being a comic and that's just so wrong. It's like, that's being good at comedy is like, dude. I'm telling you right now, if you want to be a person in a band and make a living playing music, I can personally tell you, you have a way better chance of doing that as a musician and you have a, you'll have a better life than doing that as a comic comedy is so obsessive. And so there's no, like, I want to be a great comic. I'm going to kind of do it like your fucking later bail. Like that's not going to like, Anybody that is in a, and, and, and Josh knows this with Burr and, and all, you know, Jim Brewer, all of these guys that are monsters on stage, they, they 
are so immersed in it that it, that it's it, other parts of their life. It's like, just don't happen. Like, Oh, you know, Christmas time with family. No. Oh, you know, just, you're just, you're just making this your life. Whereas I'll be honest, when you're in a band, you have other people you can lean on. Dude, I just felt like I was on stage tonight. Dude, don't worry about it. It's all good. When you're a comic, no one says that to you. You know, like maybe, maybe a bro, like, and you, you know, it's like, I don't know. I felt weird on stage. And like another comic will say, yeah, it sucked. You know, like you're like, fuck. like in music, there's, you know, you, you have your band, but in comedy, I just, from my personal experience, it is such uh it's such a solo grind, man. And, and I respect, that's why I respect all those dudes and women that have made it because dude, I'll be honest, man. Like I remember the first time I went and did my first headline weekend and I don't, I'm by myself for four days in a hotel. I mean, dude, and you, and you know, you don't know the feature and, and there's no, you know, you're not hanging and you're just like, wow. I mean, I, that to me was such a new it's, thing. It's so different. Yeah. Cause with you like bigger- isolation, it's the greatest thing in the world. You know what I mean? But it, there's like, I, I'm going to Minnesota in like two weeks to headline house of comedy. And I'm like, fuck man like i'm gonna be not only alone there but it's freezing outside and it's covid yeah so the thing the thing i'll say though is that like and just the thing is is that that's why my respect like i had i've always had respect for comedians my whole life i've loved comedy my whole life but you know i respect comedians that's why i never i can't bag on a comic that's out there doing it, even if people don't like them or whatever, or like her, I just, I can't do it because I know how hard it is and how lonely it is and how you're just in your head all the friggin' time. And that's just me 11 years in. And it, and I would say, you know, it's it, in, in the community for me, I was lucky enough that, you know, and I started in LA, which is a nightmare. Everyone says, Oh my God. Like, I don't know if you could start in LA again anymore. I mean, especially now with COVID, but for me, I got lucky because I was in at least in a community where like meeting people like Josh, Eric Griffin. I mean, I'll just say straight up, if it wasn't for Eric Griffin, he was the first, you know, real comic Brody Stevens. I remember the Brody, I was at the comedy store. I was scared shitless and he came right over to me and he just was like, you know, Hey, you know, in that Brody. So, so you play music. So, you know, or you did music, you know, like that, those type of people were cool to me. Um, you know, Eric Griffin, I would say in the, in the beginning, super cool. Greg Barrett, you know, he was super just welcoming and, and it was cool. You know, like I remember Greg Barrett and I used to, he used to, he used to laugh because he wanted to be in a band and I wanted to be a comic. He'd be like, why do you want to do this? I'm like, I, dude, I love it. I can't wait. He goes, I want to do what you do. I want to play music. You know, he had a surf band and everything. And he would, all we would do is hang out and he would just ask me questions about music. And I would ask him questions about comedy. Uh, and he gave me the best advice ever. I, I was featuring for him and I kept asking him all weekend, come on, man, you know, give me some advice. You know, he, he, okay, okay, okay. Tomorrow night, tomorrow night. And finally at the end of the trip, he goes, uh, words are like furniture. And I go, they are. He goes, yeah, you just got to keep moving them around until you find the right combination. And I was like, okay, I get that. He's right now. You know what? That's a hundred percent right. Jesus Christ. By moving one word in a joke, it completely changes everything. And it could just be moving, you know, like saying sassafras at the end and they're like, oh, that's the most genius joke ever. Well, because I moved, the sassafras was earlier. Nope, you put it at the end. Yeah, and, and the uh, thing with, the thing, the last thing I'll say too is stand-up is the thing that that I loved, you know, so much, so much about it is just is the words 
and the placement of the words. And, you know, like, like I remember I spent, I remember one time I spent a year trying to do like a five minute set, you know, like I was going to do my five minute late night set. And then I, I, it, I turned into this weird thing where like, I'm like, I remember I went to go do a spot somewhere and they're like, I'm like, Hey, can I do my five? And, and the guy goes, man, sorry, dude. And I'm like, do you got any time? He's like, I mean, I got, I got three minutes if you can do that. And I'm like, okay. And then I, I was like, I did it and it worked. And then I was like, I started getting into this weird thing for, and this was for a year, dude, that I started doing like a mi two minute sets. Like I was into like, I loved the less time on stage and to get laughs. Like I was like, okay, dude, like I would, I would listen to my recording. Okay. I got the laugh. I got the first laugh in nine seconds. I got the first laugh in 11. I got to trim that. Like I just nerded out on it. I remember I watched all these Dangerfield clips when he was on Car Carson. And I remember he had this joke where he goes, yeah, I said to my kid, someday you'll have kids of your own. And my kid said, so will you. And I fuck my head exploded. I was like, I wrote down those words. And I remember I had them on a notepad and I just started counting them. And I'm like, God damn, the word efficiency in this is fucking amazing. And it just, and it, and that's the part of, that's the reason why I don't like musicians and comics and people that, you know, perform like that. I have so much respect for them because once you go to that place, dude, there's no way out. Like if you truly commit to it in one way, like fucking more power to you, stoked for you in another way, you're fucked because there's no way to get out of it. Like you're, you get addicted to it. Yeah. Same thing with fentanyl. <laughs> right. Everybody. My go-to drug of choice yeah, is fentanyl. No Proud sponsor of the 500, everybody. Fentanyl. If your life is going nowhere, try fentanyl. And then it oh really will go nowhere. I love right. how like I got all quiet and I looked at you. I'm like, here it comes. Josh is just going to throw some fucking knowledge. Well, you're dropping science. It's hard for me to fucking, you know, to go, no, you're wrong. Or have a joke about that. What you're saying is so true, dude. But this is actually this is actually a good fact. And you brought the song up, I'm Straight, which the band recorded shortly after these first sessions and which was added onto this record when it was re-released. And it was honestly about how, and this is going to get to the bottom of what we were talking about, he never used drugs. Sometime later, though, Jerry got him to take a puff of a joint and he got a strange look on his face and announced, Jerry, I'm going to have to hit you with a frying pan because I have to hurt somebody in order to know that I am stoned and I'm not myself before he was talked down. Wow. Is there any way uh, that you can just play like that first line of, I, I called, called this, this number, number three, three times already today, today but I... I got scared, I put it back in place, I put my phone back in place, I still don't know if I should have called up, look, just tell me why don't you, if I'm out of place. That's actually on the long extended version of this to make record. Me feel awkward. Um, man, that's fucking good, dude. That's really so good. all I want to say is this, and I don't know if you guys cut this up or the whole podcast is going to be on there, but if there was one song, it would be, you know, she's cracked Roadrunner, and then put on, uh, I'm straight. And if those three jams don't grab you, then this record ain't going to be for you. 
It's very pavement and velvet, like having a baby, basically. It's waiting for the man, but like slowed down. I just so love his good. voice, dude. I love, I love, I like how he goes, you know, this is your, I, I got scared. I, I put it back. Like, I just love like the way he's talking and singing. And I just remember, I can still remember right now hearing this and just going, dude, this is killer. Like, wow. You're hanging on every word. Every You're word. Just like, uh, what's the next word? All right. I, this question I, I'm really excited to ask you because uh, according to bassist Ernie Brooks, Richmond's fascination with the Velvet Underground was conflicted. Brooks recalled, I always had this theory that our sound was almost the opposite of the Velvets, that basically we were playing into the light as opposed to the darkness. But you could argue that about anybody. Any art that expresses pain is also suggesting a way out of the pain. So it's a two-part question. So first, do you think great art has to come from pain? Do I think great I don't I think great art comes from dedication. I don't want to say it comes from pain. I know that it does. I know there's um, you know, so many artists musically, uh, artistically, comedians and actors and that that art that they pull that all of us love comes from a sadness and a darkness that we don't know about or we may know about it. Um, I'm not going to say that necessarily it has to come from there, but I will say, and, I, and I've said it a million times, if you truly want, in my opinion, to go to that place to find that art, you have to go and dig so deep. You cannot just go, yeah, I'm going to kind of do this. Like, I feel like any, like there can be no backup plan. If you want to, this is just me and I, and I mean it, I mean it so, and I've said it before, if you're a band and you want to make it, you have to you have no backup plan. You can't be like, if the band doesn't work out, then, you know, I just go back to school and then I'm going to be a doctor. Like, no, I no. If you're a comedian and you're like, you know, if comedy doesn't work out, I'll just, you know, I'm just going to be a writer and what? No, no. You want to be the best. If comedy doesn't work out, I don't eat. You know, if comedy doesn't work out, I don't have a place to stay. You know, there's, you know, like Eric Griffin once said to me, he, his whole life changed where he said, I am not going to do anything except comedy. That's it. I'm not going to, you know, he was doing, I think he was a coach teaching stuff and he was like, no, now I just do comedy. Now, granted, you know, it opened up acting. It opened up, you know, all of the things that he did, but there was a turning point and I feel everyone has it where you say, and like I said, it doesn't come from like, I'm, you know, I got to be wasted and drunk and sad, or I had to have a terrible childhood. No, but it, it is that moment, you know, like it's like Sebastian Maniscalco, man. He was just telling me, you know, I did an interview with him and he said he drove from Chicago with his sister and like, okay, here we go. Like, I'm going to make this happen. And I really believe that to me is where you have to go to find that greatness. You no backup plan. I just got to say that no backup plan. All right, so then this is this is more on being from the record label and working in the business as well. Um, was there ever an artist on your label that was going through some shit and then gave you an incredible album from that? Absolutely. It, I mean, in so many bands' careers, um, I would say this. I would say I, I was so fortunate to work and work with, and my partner and I, Bill Armstrong and I, we just – we were able to work with bands at turning points in their lives, whether it was, you know, Flogging Molly, you know, you have this Dave King, 
you know, this amazing guy that was in this band called Fastway. So he's like, he's, he's had a ride, you know, he's toured with Iron Maiden, he's toured with ACDC. He, you know, he comes from Ireland and he's playing, you know, he's a, you know, say what you will, you know, like he's this amazing, you know, he's this rock singer and then all, it all goes to shit. It all ends and he ends up in LA and he's just like, you know what? Like, I don't, I'm going to play the music that I grew up listening to. And he starts to play the Irish songs, you know, right there at Molly Malone's that he had grown up to. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, a drummer wants to join him. Okay. I'm going to do that. And then another, you know, so he starts what the thing I loved with flogging Molly was like, all of a sudden he had went from being this huge band and, and it all came back down to the core of who he was just a kid with his guitar singing the songs that, you know, his mom, he, he heard growing up in, you know, the, in the apartment that he lived in in Ireland. And then all of a sudden taking just a different twist on those songs, the hybrid, like I always feel it like, like, I always feel like the hybrid is the thing that makes it great. You know what I'm saying? And, and I feel like in my just being fortunate enough to work with bands like Gaslight Anthem, you know, they, they took a hybrid, you know, you had, you had, you had this great guitar playing in Gaslight Anthem that was almost like painting, you know, like I always say, whenever I listen to Alex guitar playing, it felt like he was just splashes of purple and splashes of red. And then you had this kid, Brian Fallon, you know, uh, with these lyrics, I mean, the guy could sing the alphabet and it would make you cry, but it also, you know, it, sell, it, it had, they put, we, you know, they put this echo on the voice and it just, it just sounded so beautiful. And then you had, you know, the rhythm section, you know, Benny and Alex, that was just, and it was this moment in time where they had, they knew the thing I loved about them. They knew if this didn't happen, they didn't eat. Like that yeah. was just, you just, when you saw them, yeah. you know, you saw that moment in time where, where you're like, you know, you sat in the van with these dudes and they're, they were, it was like, this is all we have. And there's those great moments, you know, and then you can go on to other bands, like, you know, even bands I didn't work with guns and roses. I mean, it was like that had to happen or, or it, it doesn't fly. We don't eat, you know? And I think that came across, you know, on that in their you know, music. Yeah. Did. In appetite for destruction. Yeah. You know, Axel and Duff and all of those guys and slash and all of them, you know, you, they were the real deal. And, and they had went to that place of like, this has to happen. We, we have to make this work. Um, and I think that's where the greatness comes from. But for the artists that I've worked with now, I mentioned, you know, obviously flag and Molly and gaslight anthem, but like, I think other bands that, you know, maybe unfortunately didn't have the success of those bands, but the, I was so fortunate to work with bands, whether it's the Briggs or Go Mitty Go or, you know, bands, bands like Pup or, you know, even Knock Bear, like where they, they went to these places and, and I just was lucky enough to, you know, be able to help them and be on, be that, that part of facilitating, you know, making sure, like we used to always say at Side One Dummy, you know, our gig is to not fuck it up. And that like as a record company, you can really fuck it up. And I've seen record companies fuck it up. And our biggest fear, my partner and I, Bill and I was like, when there was that natural momentum and it, and the magic's happening, don't be the guy that I got to hear myself talk and tell you, you know, just fucking let the band do what they're supposed to yeah, do. That's the yeah. reason why they're fucking there and you're not, you know? And I really feel like that was always kind of Bill and I's place is like, we knew Sidewind dummy doesn't mean shit without these bands. Yeah. You know, we're like, don't, don't, I, you know, Hey, those bands leave Bill. My partner said the best thing once someone said, yeah, you know, Bill said, yeah, you know, without the bands, Joe and I are just two guys that like music. <laughs> you know, like, I was like, and I remember when he said that, I was like, God, that's so true. Cause all we did was sit around and talk about how much we love music. And all of a sudden you start working with these bands. You're like, don't get in the way. 
just let them do what they're supposed to do. Um, so while in Los Angeles, the band became friends with past 500 album artist Graham Parsons. In fact, Jonathan went mini golfing with Graham and they discussed recording together on the day before Graham overdosed and died. Um, so I wanted to ask you this because you've worked with so many incredible people. Uh, has there ever been a pinch pinch yourself moment where you're just hanging out with somebody that you're like, how the fuck am I hanging out with this person? Oh my God, dude. So many, I mean, we, we, you're gonna, we're going to go, we could go three hours. I mean, dude, uh, okay. Where do I start? Uh, you know, the night, the, the time that I fly over to, uh, we fly over to London, uh, and, um, Gaslight Anthem is opening for Bruce Springsteen. And at that point, um, Bruce Springsteen has taken a liking to Gaslight Anthem. Gaslight Anthem's record, you know, um, has come out and it's doing well in the United States. It's doing well over there in Europe at that point. And there's this festival, huge festival, and it's going to be, you know, opener gas, uh, Gaslight Anthem. And I want to say Dave Matthews band. And then it goes into, um, into Springsteen. And at that point, uh, Bruce and Brian had met each other. Um, we're over there. Uh, Bill and I both fly over. And I remember I never knew about Springsteen in my entire life unless it was for my partner, Bill Armstrong. In fact, we actually, he had to school me once because he's like, oh, dude, you know, do you listen to, do you listen to Bruce? Have you ever listened to Nebraska? I'm like, dude, I'm not a Bruce fan. He's like, okay, I'm going to tell you right now. That's a stupid thing to say. Secondly, I'm going to give you this Nebraska cassette. That's how long ago it was. He goes, I want you to, I know you're driving up north. Put this in. If you don't like it, I'll never bring it up to you again. But if you do like it, um, we'll talk later. I go, okay, cool. I remember I was on the five. I was driving to visit my mom. I put Nebraska on and I fucking pull over after I listen to the record, call him and go, dude, I am a moron. This, I can't believe I was telling people for years. I don't like Springsteen. He started laughing. And then I was, so he, he was the one that turned me on to it. So now fast forward, we have this band Gaslight Anthem, you know, this record 59 sound comes out. It's, it's doing amazing in the States, doing amazing over there. Bruce Springsteen starts to like it. Um, they get this opening slot. And I remember Bill and I'm telling Bill, we got to go. And Bill was kind of on the fence. He's like, dude, I mean, I don't know, like all the way to England. I'm like, and I had to, I had to go, I had to go for like bro moment. I go, dude, I know you and I've had this company now for, you know, 12 years or whatever, 14 years, whatever. But dude, you and I have a chance to go see Bruce Springsteen, the guy. And our band is opening. Like, we're not like, we're supposed to be there. We're the dudes. We're the guys. Like, no one can be like, hey, dude bail like we get a hang and the band you know we had a great relationship with gaslight and i remember you know we both had bill had it to his kids i had mine and we were kind of in dad mode like because once you have kids you're like oh no dude i can't do anything fun no no i can't do that no oh bruce no he wouldn't and then finally i bill goes you are right we fly over and dude i remember we land the first night it's it's like neil young playing and we're like no way and that night we're in our hotel room and we're just hanging out and we're just just absorbing everything. And, and back then, or back at this particular time, Reading Leeds Festival was on and we see Gaslight Anthem. We're like, no way, there they are. They're playing, you know, like we're, they're playing for the Reading Leeds Festival. They're playing Reading. All of a sudden, uh, the um, Bruce comes out and does a song with Brian on stage. And every, and we go, I go, holy shit. Like, dude, look at what's happening. So we're watching on TV. Um, I literally call Brian afterwards and I'm like, dude, he's like, did you see that? We're like, oh my God. He's like, ah, see you tomorrow in London. We're like, okay. We hang up. Bill and I are like, just like beyond ourselves. Like Bruce played with our band. This is amazing. And as a joke, you know, the next morning when we were with the, the label that we were working with over there for distribution, they were like, oh my God, we, we're already seeing the sales 
for the gaslight record have changed overnight because Bruce came out and sang with them. They go, what do you think will happen to tonight in London? And as a joke, just as a joke, I said, how rad would it be if Bruce brought Brian out and everyone laughed? You're like, oh my God, that'd be crazy because you'd be 60,000 people. So now I'll never forget it. We're there, we're hanging out, we're backstage at this festival and uh, you know, Gaslight Anthem's got their zone and you know, we're hanging out and all of a sudden we see this SUV come over and uh, Brian comes over and he goes, dude, so uh, that was, Bruce just hit me up. He wants me to come over and uh, run a song with him. And I go, are you fucking serious? And he goes, dude, do you want to go? And I'm like, I go, dude, no fucking way. You got to bring Bill. And he's like, oh my God. Cause you know, Bill's with me and I, and Bill and Brian brings Bill Armstrong over to fucking Bruce's trailer. And they just, I was it was so rad, dude. And Bruce is, you know, Bill's like, dude, they're working on no surrender together. You know, Bill knows because oh, you know, wow. I knew Bill would be way more, like, I know Bruce, but like Bill knows everything. Right. So they come back and I go, dude, what was it like? And Bill's just like, like, dude, if we leave right now, fine. Don't even need to see it. Yeah. I'm like, Oh my God. I'm like, are you stoked? We came. He's like, I'm so stoked. So now dude, gaslight anthem plays. Bruce comes out with gaslight. Uh, that night, that night in front of like, you know, the, at that point there's, you know, 25, 30,000 or 25,000 people, 20,000 people and, uh, and plays and the crowd goes nuts. Cause they, they had seen on television the night before Bruce playing with gaslight. So everyone thought that was it. Now fast forward, it's, you know, uh, Springsteen on stage, full band. It was when the, um, I'm spacing on the saxophone player. He was still alive. Clarence Clemens. Clarence Clemens. He was there. It was amazing. And I remember that night in, uh, in London, they come out uh, and Springsteen opens up with London Calling, you know, by the class. Yeah, and dude. Every saw, uh, 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 do, 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 do. like people are just fucking going nuts. And I'm sitting on the side of the stage, dude. Brian Fallon's next to me. And I'll never forget. I'm like, fuck, dude, who's this fucker on me? And I turn around and it's Richie Sambora. I'm like, dude, no way. <laughs> like right away he has the hat on. I'm like, dude, that's so rad. I'm like, I'm looking at him. And you know what was rad? was I remember when we both look at each other, like we, it wasn't like, yeah, dude, I'm Richie Sambora. Who are you? Both of us were like, no way are they playing the class right that now. That is so, yeah, you both were fucking yeah. teenagers again. And, and, and to make it even crazier, even to make it crazier, you're sitting there and uh, Mick Jones from the clash was watching from the other side of the stage. He's got the suit on. So we're just going nuts. Then, uh, you know, Bruce is going through the show. And at this point, you know, I don't want to get the numbers wrong, but you know, you can look at this up. Like everyone listening to this right now, you can go on Bruce Springsteen, no surrender with Brian Fallon. And all of a sudden, you know, it's the middle of the set. They've just been killing it for an hour at this point. All of a sudden, you know, uh, you see Bruce go, you know, we're going to bring a friend up here. And he's all hitting the guitar. He's making like a feedback sound. He's like, where's Brian? Where's Brian from Gaslight Anthem? And all of a sudden, you know, Brian is sitting, you know, he's right next to me and Bill. And, you know, the, you know, here it is. It's like, yeah, we signed this band in San Diego in front of 15 people. And now the singer is being asked to join, you know, Bruce Springsteen, my partner's fucking band you know the whole thing you know the this that's a band that we both love a, a, a man that's amazing and all of a sudden you know brian comes out and they start no surrender and i'll never forget it like bruce brings the first he sing you'll watch on the video bruce sings the first verse and then he sends it over to brian and there was a moment where you're like you know there's fifty thousand people you know there's huge park hyde park thousands and th as far as the eye can see and there was a moment where i'm like all right, here we go. Like, how's Brian going to drop into this? And I remember when he drops in and you can see in the video, 
There is no hesitation. There is no, I don't really belong in this moment. He is so in the moment. And, and at that moment, he is so home in the moment. He's just like, yeah. I fucking am down for this. And I have been in this moment in my mind, in my bedroom since I was a little boy. And it's fucking happening right now. And he's saying so perfectly that after that was done and the crowd goes nuts and you'll see in the video, but I'll never forget the sound man had said uh, to, I kind of heard backstage, that was the first time that they, as a guest for Bruce, they had to pull the vocal back because usually when a singer would guest with Bruce, they get a little nervous. And he said, that was one of the few times that I actually had to pull Brian down a little bit because he hit it so hard. Good for that, Brian. That's being in the moment, dude. Yeah. And that was one of those moments that I just remember like just sitting there and like going, oh my God, from Santa Cruz sitting at the cove with my friends drawing, you know, the, the circle a logo and black flag bars in the sand to now being on the side of the stage with Richie Sambora. Not that I'm a Bon Jovi fan, but that's pretty rad. And like, and like, and seeing Bruce and seeing an artist that we worked with. And also the thing that was so cool is like the band and, and, you know, the guys in Gaslight Anthem, like there was no trying to hide a cool factor. All of us were just nuts. I remember later that night, this, this is the last thing I'll say. So later that night, we're all drinking beers and we're just like, oh my God, this day has been amazing. And, and we're in one of those tents, like after show tents. And Mick Jones from The Clash is cruising by. He's got the red tie on. He's, I'm like, holy shit. I'm like a Clash fan. These dudes are crazy Clash fans. And I see Mick and I go, oh my God, Mick you know, that nice to meet you. I'm, you know, he's like, Oh, cool. He said, I can I buy you a drink. Oh, he's sitting there. Everything's cool. I'm like, dude, can I get the guys in gaslight? Anthony? He's like, Oh, I'd love to meet them. So I run over and I bring these four dudes over and, and I'll never forget there. They see Mick and he's like, Hey, how's it going? They're like, they couldn't talk to the guy. They were just <laughs> they so just, frozen because yeah. yeah, legend. They just froze. And I remember at a certain point, I just looked at Mick. I go, this ain't happening. You can split. Like, all right, just left. Yeah. God bless their so souls. That's one of those God moments. Bless their souls, Gaslight Anthem. Uh, this was great, dude. I, I got some rapid fire stuff, just some stuff we we need to get out to make sure everybody gets your take on it. All right. Favorite song on the record? Oh, and this, um, I'm straight. I'm straight. Okay. Well, it wasn't really on the nine songs that we broke down, but out of the nine that we broke down. Oh, oh, out of the oh, out of the nine we broke down, she's cracked. Least favorite song. Um, Pablo Picasso. Okay. What song would you fuck to on this album? Whoa. Um, I'm going to say um, when you get out of the hospital. Hospital. That's what I put. Did nice. you? Yeah, dude. And then last question. Does this record deserve to be on the 500 greatest albums list? Absolutely. And, and, and why it does, in my opinion, in my little teeny opinion, is because uh, unbeknowing to so many bands um, – and unbeknownst to so many people, it influenced so many bands. So many bands were influenced by, uh, I think, this the sound, the uh, the vocal delivery of Jonathan Richmond, and the the hybrid of what they did. And like you know, one like we said, Pavement, Beck. I think there's so many so many bands that got influenced by this. No, I agree. I agree. So Joe, this was fantastic. Uh, promote away. What do you? What do you? Whatever you want to promote. Oh, what do I want to promote? Um, I want to promote, um, you know, I'm doing a car wash because we haven't been doing comedy. So I'm going to be washing car. No, uh, I'll just promote <laughs> this, man. If you enjoy <laughs> got a car wash day. next Tuesday to raise Wait, money. Hey, for, are, you, uh, are you at Big J's place right now? 
I am. Oh, you are. I am. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. I, dude, you got to tell Big J uh, was so solid to me when he was hosting the state. Like they did some festival, and it was remember the big festival, and like Chappelle headlined, and Whitney, all the rad. It was oh, remember Fest? No, it wasn't that one. It was another one. It was like some summertime show, and J- and Jay ran the side stage. Oh, like, um, fucking yeah, dude. I know it's uh, fuck. Anyway, it was anyway. uh, no, 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 no. I gotta get the name of it. It was. It wasn't clusterfuck. It was no. the touring thing that Live Nation did. Exactly that is called Oddball. Oddball. Yeah, yeah. There you yeah. go. Hey, ask big, ask big J. Let me see here, really quick. Let me see here. I'm gonna text him see if this is his number. Ask him if he got that. He was so, here we go. I just checked, I just texted him. Go, hey, did you get a text from Joe Sib? There you go. Yeah, I just texted it. him. Did he really? Yeah. <laughs> Dude, Jay was so cool. I remember I remember when Jay was so cool to me that that day, just because he was hosting all of these fucking comics and you know he fucking was just crushing. And um, I remember I was like, Dude, I'm so psyched to do this festival. And he was just fucking cool. And he's like, dude, give me your number. Or I'll get her, I'll give you my number. And if you're ever in New York, we'll hang out. And then fucking It's my blood brother, dude. Only in comedy, right? It, well, you know why? We, we well, in music that, too. But also, you know why, Joe? Like, it's the same reason that you and I get along so well and and me and Jay get along so well. It's just like there's we haven't lost touch with how cool this shit is and and what we're doing and what we've been able to do and and it's just you know we, we, there's an excitement that that we have and a, and a love for i think what we have and we and a love we appreciate what other people do it you know so seeing that, yeah seeing that passion you yeah know? man and so so he's on me he also said never text him again all right so okay got it never to text different him. number okay got it thanks <laughs> okay so uh, you were okay hey any more are we good Oh, oh, you want me to promote? Okay, here we go. Hey, if you, uh, I want to thank everyone. Always, I uh, love the 500. I love Josh, love Jeremiah, I love the whole crew. Hey, if you guys enjoyed anything I said today, do me a favor, hit me up on Instagram, Joe underscore Sib uh, at Instagram. And if you want to hit me an email, uh, Joe Sib 22. That's right, 22, Joe Sib 22 at gmail.com. Um, hopefully when this COVID thing, you know, shuts down, I'm doing some shows. I'm going actually to Florida. I'm going to- do it. Chicago. I'm doing the La Jolla comedy store by the time this will air, it'll already be done. But, um, yeah. Uh, if you're into it, follow me and, um, yeah, there you go. It'll be super cool. There you Joe, go. Thank you. I love you. Thank love you, you brother. You're, you're going to be on again. So just, you will we'll <laughs> prep you. I'll give you more than a week prep less than a week. You, I think this, this was, was less than a week. This was less than a week, but you, you lived this record so that you didn't need much time, dude. I love wow. you, buddy. Love you too, guys. Thank you so much. What did I tell you? What did I tell you? The one and only Joe Sib. For all things Joe, go to his website, joesib.com, and find him on Instagram at joe underscore sib now. We just listened to the Modern Lovers from 1976. For new music this week, we picked Saffron, and you were listening to 1983, a track from the 2020 album Demolition Now on State Champion Records. Saffron is a Washington, D.C.-based hardcore punk trio who are huge fans of the Modern Lovers, listing them among their influences along with Bad Religion, F- and Hickey. You can find links to the music on our website, the500podcast.com. And if you want your music featured on the 500, just like the band Saffron, who submitted it, send us your song to 
500podcasts at gmail.com. Put the album and artist that influenced you in the subject line. Next week is Beach Boys Week as we go deep into the 2011 Brian Wilson record, The Smile Session. Y'all got some homework to do. Listen to the record. Doobo doobo. Stay fleecy. Do your shit, y'all. free money how you choose to spend it of course right now open a new cq checking account and we'll give you 250 dollars to spend however you like upgrade those headphones splurge on concert tickets or maybe upgrade to ad free streaming the choice is yours and extra cash isn't all this credit union offers do your banking build credit and invest in your future all with cq visit cqmd.org today that's secumd.org today What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living, and every week I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. Next Chapter Podcasts.